This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Where's all my soul, sisters? Let me hear your flow, sisters. Hey, sister, go, sister, soul, sister, flow, The Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 224 for August MMXXII. Backhold the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics right at the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Now, we have two professor friends of this podcast. I believe this is the first doctor friend <laughs> that we have on the show. And I'm super excited. I knew she was going to come on some point. Wasn't sure when, but I think this is the time to bring her on. So please a warm welcome to Dr. Jennifer Swartz Levine. 
Thank you. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And we we knew each other. We knew mm-hmm. of each other mm-hmm. through our mutual friend, Shagalicious, as I call him. Yes, absolutely. And then we met at Bowling Green State. You mm-hmm. were one of the keynotes and yes. I recognized you and your name. And so I made your acquaintance. And then we were on another like a Batgirl, a Barbara Gordon right. yes. channel. So we've been like circling around each other. But yes. this is the first time that we're having a face to face conversation. I know. And I'm really excited about that. So. <laughs> Me too. Now, one of the things that Chad Galicious brought to my attention about you, because you were on his blah, ha, ha podcast, which yes, I make fun of yes. and I say blah, blah, blah podcast. But oh. That's okay. He knows I do it. I was going to say you and Chad do that to each other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've been on the show too now. Yes, so I'm, yes. I'm, I'm in good company. But he told me about something that you've talked about involving Diet Cola and Power Girl. And yes. Power Girl has kind of been in Birds of Prey. I've only yes. mentioned her in relation to this feud that she and Babs has, but I haven't actually seen too much of her. But I'm very interested in what this is about Diacola and Power Girl. Several years ago, I wrote a conference paper called the 99% calorie-free solution to sexism or something. And it was in the, this is sort of what ultimately wound me up on uh, Shag's podcast, because while it wasn't during the Giffen Mateus run for the Bahaha stuff, it was the Gerard Jones stuff, which that's very problematic, as we now know with Gerard Jones. But this whole thing where Power Girl is drinking diet soda. And she talks about how she's doing it to keep trim and fatless, I think, as she, uh, you know, calls it for, you know, sort of the men around her, sort of the whole male gaze thing. And then Dr. Light talks about how she's been doing some research. And one of her other scientist friends has discovered that diet cola, there's a substance in diet cola that makes super powered women in particular, as she puts it, witchy. Mm. So, of course, it's that whole combination of trying to stay thin for men and of course power girls being a and of course they're trying to ultimately depower power girl a little bit i mean as we're sort of working towards that but the way that it gets done is both hilarious and horrifying and we do it through the lens of diet soda so that diet root beer is going to get her in the end So. Yeah, and we see all sorts of uh, those issues come in Birds of Prey to a certain yes, extent. Yes, with, yeah, yes, How she's yeah. reconciling with her new powered status. Right, exactly, exactly. So, mm-hmm. so, and I mean, and, and sort of some of that, you know, sort of those issues are we see affecting some of the other ones. I mean, the thank God we're we're going to be talking about the Gail Simone stuff because mm, the issues between Chuck Dixon and and Gail Simone. Mm, I'd like to pretend they didn't happen, but one of the <laughs> things that made me just just angry was like in the opening, like one of the first issues, I think it was when, uh, uh, what's his face did it. Uh, the, I see I'm even blanking on his name. I want to repress them so much, but there was this whole thing about how Batgirl or Oracle was upset that she'd gained weight somewhat in the chair and whether or not the outfit was going to fit if she were to put it back on. And I, I'm telling you, Stella, I was, I was mad when I read those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I think men have an idea of what our concerns are and they might yes. be a little bit off. Just, 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 just the tiniest bit, just the little tiny bits. So. Yeah. I actually read all, I don't remember what issue I covered with Shag on the blah, blah, blah podcast, but I remember reading all of those JLIs yeah. up to then and yeah. Power Girl was super amazing in the beginning. And then yes. all of a sudden they rid her of her powers. And I was like, why did you do that? I know. What purpose? I know. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. No. And then, I mean, and as you go even further past that, I stopped at a certain point because I just couldn't handle what they were doing to her anymore. I mean, that whole weird pregnancy thing down the road. I just I'm like, oh, oh, I got to tap out at some point. <laughs> I'm just done here. <laughs> so. oh. Well, we have Shag to thank for bringing us together. Which We do. We do. So yeah. that's wonderful. So. Yes. Well, if you ever publish that paper, I'll be really interested to read it. Okay. Well, thank you. If I yeah. clean it up and you know dust it off and send it off somewhere, I will send you a copy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, now we're going to take a bit of a turn to the sad and unfortunate to I talk know. about this Batgirl film. So I, know. I believe it was August 3rd news mm-hmm. was coming out. And unfortunately, Shag was the one to send it to me because oh, no. <laughs> one of the articles, it might have been from The Guardian, was entitled Irredeemable, that mm-hmm. role film mm-hmm. yeah. uh, or a movie unexpectedly canceled despite being in Final Stages. And so he said, even though it has my name, it's not me. I'm like, OK, thanks. <laughs> but he also sent further articles just to prove that it may have mm-hmm. happened. And Josh and Don, they work in some capacity with DC. So mm-hmm. they were trying to yeah. figure out what was going on. I don't think it was as bad. I think that was just from, you know, one news station was trying to say that it was so bad they're canceling it. Mm -hmm. But it seems like it was mostly financially based Mm -hmm. reasons. The problem is, and I actually uh, reached out to pro- Professor Allen because he he's in economics and all that, so I can read what he mm-hmm. said. But the problem yeah. with this that I see it being a real bad look is because of all the people of color and mm-hmm. uh, minority characters that are involved mm-hmm. and women. And we had our mm-hmm. first trans actress, yes. really, I think, in the universe mm-hmm. coming out. Mm-hmm. And now things have sort of snowballed because I've also seen that on the chopping block, maybe Supergirl, Mm -hmm. she was not white, Static Shock, not white. Mm -hmm. And I think the Mm -hmm. Green Lantern, John Stewart. Mm -hmm. So real bad looks on on all of this. But do you have any thoughts on this cancellation? I'm so sad. I was so looking forward to this movie. And also, I mean... It's like they've taken $90 million out into the side yard and set it on fire. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, would not, wouldn't it be nice if we had $90 million to just go, oh, well, okay, I guess I'm just, doesn't matter. I spent $90 million. We're just going to put it on a shelf. Yeah. It's just mind blowing to me. And I think, I mean, probably since the company's merged and this gives them an opportunity to do a tax write off because the, you know, sort of focus has changed that they want to get back to sort of theatrical releases. All right, fine. But, it is a very bad look because, you know, all of these characters and all of the representation, that's not going to happen now. And also, I wanted a Barbara Gordon movie. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that that was, yeah, certainly the big thing is, while well, we're finally going to get mm-hmm. a Barbara Gordon film. And yes. now I may have been a little, I wasn't sure because I knew it was going to be based off of Gail Simone's run and I mm-hmm. knew it might have been a bit dark, but I was keep going in with an open mind and just having that represent, representation of that character I, I thought was going to be yes. great and having Firefly yeah. in there and yes. kind of back yeah. row year one-ish maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And, and I, you know, and Titans has got its own problems, but I was really not thrilled with sort of the Barbara Gordon on Titans. And I was really hoping that I was going to love the movie version. And now we'll never know. We won't no. ever know. No, no, I, in doing this like last minute research before you popped on, I noticed there was new news here that the oh. filmmakers were of course, hoping that 
footage would be yeah. seen someday. But apparently six hours ago, reported that uh, the directors are blocked from accessing footage after the studio canceled the film. Oh, so they really sort of doing scorched earth. Fantastic. They are, because <laughs> I was thinking to myself, you know, I, in general, ethically and morally, don't like things being leaked because right. I, I think it's really unfortunate for the artists. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I thought, please leak oh. it because the money yes. was already paid. And now right. at least some people can really right. enjoy what these artists put right. into it. Right. So. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I'm worried about is that, I mean, you know, <sighs> Obviously, I'm of a certain age. And I was very much looking forward to seeing Michael Keaton back in a bat suit. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I was a teenager in the summer of '89. I was looking forward to this. My youth was coming back. But the other thing is, is that I mean, Michael Keaton's established. Brendan Fraser's established. But you know, the, the woman who's playing Batgirl, even though everyone said no, it wasn't her acting. I mean, this is this is one of her very first roles. What's this going to do to her career? Yeah. Especially since some of the reviews are saying that it was because it was irredeemable, which I yeah. I think probably not. But and I feel bad for her too. Yeah. Yeah. Really her breakout role, I feel like was in the Heights. In the Heights. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I hope she can come back from it. I didn't know the actress playing Alicia at all. So I don't know no. if that was her no. first role or not. I don't know. Yeah. And they just, <laughs> she suddenly reappeared in Batgirls number nine. And I wondered <laughs> if they were trying to do that in order to <laughs> have a connection. I thought, well, yeah. Now that's not going to work. I also, it's really unfortunate because I think back to some of the bad films that DC has released, like Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds or Batman versus Superman. And then I also think about the current controversy and I know he's working on, or they're working on it, but with Ezra Miller, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, man, you're going full steam ahead with some of these. Is it really because it's involving white males? Right. Right. Yes. I've wondered about that too. And I will admit that, I mean, as bad as the Green Lantern film is, I kind of have a soft spot for it i'm one of the few people that think hey it's not that bad i guess <laughs> but you know but yeah it, it it does seem interesting the ones that they're choosing to cancel and it could be that it's that's got nothing to deal with it and it's just new regime and new focus and all of that but it it is strange yeah at the very least it's very true so just reading from alan because i, I did appreciate what he had to say and i yes. said uh, do you have any financial opinions on the canceling of backroll he said first new ownership has new priorities new business models and ideas that's the big picture situation in a sense they are doing one thing right by ignoring sunk costs the 90 million already spent needs to be ignored for the analysis because it is sunk Either way, that money is spent. Focus only on potential future cash flows. Seems like their first priority is to just stop spending money on projects they're not interested in for whatever reason. The extra money required to complete and market the movie. Marketing costs are generally 30 to 50% of production costs. Would Mm -hmm. not, they Mm -hmm. fear, cover the additional revenues that the movie would bring into streaming. Also Mm -hmm. looks like they are considering alternate approaches to their streaming strategy. Mm -hmm. And because of tax rules and high corporate Mm -hmm. tax rates, there is a financial incentive via Mm -hmm. tax savings to write off the sunk costs and not Mm -hmm. complete and release the movie. Lower corporate tax rates would lessen the incentive as it would make shelving projects like this less lucrative. (sighs) So, Yeah, but still, I'm going to really miss seeing Batgirl on the big screen. Yeah. He did say, look at it this way, suppose Batgirl became overwhelmingly popular. Joker is already overwhelmingly popular. Which crossover storyline would they eventually have to do? <laughs> yeah. I like, I guess that's true because they're doing that Joker too. I know. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah. And Donovan was saying how it seems like with this merger that the HBO Max might get rid of or just HBO might get rid of like 70 percent of their, their right. stuff on there. So, young yeah, because they've started cutting five, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, that might be going. And I don't know. I've never seen Harley Quinn, but now I'm like, maybe I should watch Harley Quinn before it's gone. <laughs> well, you know, that's it. So I'm like, I just need to watch everything before it disappears, because I know there's some <laughs> stuff that started to get yanked already. But Yep. Yeah. Already pulling things. Oh, man. Well, any other thoughts on that sad <sighs> state of affairs? No, no. Other than I'm glad you're sad, too. You know, we can be sad together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Misery loves company. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll again transition. We'll go back to the happiness and we'll mm-hmm. do the Find Your Joy segment, which I okay. named in honor of our friend Shags Mac, mm-hmm. and she's a comfort and joy. So, yes. We're kind of, you know, we're still in COVID, but it's not as bad. But this mm-hmm. that's when it began is just, you know, have you thought of anything that's been um, bringing you joy these days? So has there been anything that's been bringing you uh, joy? You know, a return to road trips has been very nice. My husband and I, uh, we go to Myrtle Beach every year. And this year we did. And we were able to kind of do our day trip to Charleston and everything that we normally do when we're down there. So, which we haven't been able to do the last few years. And then also a couple, three weeks ago, I went on a road trip with a couple of girlfriends to visit some other friends. And it's just, I like traveling with people I love, you know, and yeah. uh, and friends and that's been missing for the last couple of years because of the pandemic. So I'm, I'm delighted to get back to road trips. <laughs> yeah. Or you can breathe the same air and this. <laughs> yes. Yes. And not be masked. And you know, yeah, yeah. You know, so thank God for vaccines and you know all of that other kind of stuff. And I mean, the, the last road trip we went on, it was, it was to a little tiny town called Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, which mm. there's very little to do in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, but that's where some of the other friends live. Uh, but it was just, it was just fun to go see, see America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's nice to go to a place where there's not much because yes. then you're just, there's community there and you're fellowshipping yes. with each other. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Are you able to shut down from technology? Yes. Yes. Okay. I mean, I deliberately have tried to start doing more of that because, you know, um, in addition to being the college professor, I'm also, you know, the dean of, of School of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences. So I have to be more connected than I'd like mm-hmm. to be, but I've, it's got to be overwhelming. So I've been trying to carve out significant time. Like I'm trying not to answer emails on weekends and, and that kind of stuff, because yeah. otherwise it would just be all online all the time. And that's, that's too much. So. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Well, Good thank you. you. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so what are you finding joy in lately? Yeah. So I had two weeks of freedom in between jobs where I mm-hmm. just didn't want to plan anything. Unfortunately, many people want to plan stuff with me that first yes. week to the second week, I didn't do anything, but it was nice to see friends. I had uh, one of my former students, now a friend, she came down from New York city. So one day I played putt putt with her, uh, a yeah. college friend from Colorado came over and we hung out and went bowling. Mm-hmm. I went to the lake with Ellie, who's a good friend of mine. So mm-hmm. yeah, just being able to spend time with people. And then I had time to read. I was able to, you know, yes, read a hundred pages instead of 50 a day. So What's that, was that nice. like? <laughs> I know now it's not going to be that way because of work and grad school, but no, it's, yeah, that was a very wonderful time. And I think I was able to refresh myself emotionally um, from the trauma of the past. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But yeah, luckily the, I think fall, fall is kind of coming through because it was just so oppressive. It seemed in July and then 
uh-huh. this past week, the humidity kind of broke and I was like, oh, yes. this is lovely. So yeah. here's, here's hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've had a bunch of storms here lately, but I think it's sort of presaging getting away from like the 90, you know, 95 degree yes. heat, because that's just been, that's been too much. I like okay, summer, then. but that's just too entirely Absolutely. too much. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready to get into it? I am. Let's okay. do it. Yeah. So the main reason why I asked the good doctor on is <laughs> because I'm about to do Gail Simone's first arc of Birds of Prey. And I thought that this would be, be a good thing. So yes, we're, we're done with Gilbert Hernandez. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I did not care for those very much, but now we're getting into Gail Simone and Venice, which I've got Mm -hmm. some questions about the art, of course. Mm -hmm. Now, would you like to do an issue at a time, do you think, or and and chat and then round it all up? Or do you want to do all all the synopses at once? What would you like? Uh, Your show, your call. (laughs) I'm good with either way. Okay, then we'll do an issue at a time. I'll do the synopsis. And I have some questions and points that we can talk about each and then we'll we'll tie it all in together. Now, as a reminder to the viewers, I don't have digital copies, but I do have the physical copies. So I'll show you some things, which I will show you some things. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So first off, this is Birds of Prey 56 of Like Minds Part 1. August 2003 is the cover date. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Ed Benes, inker Alex Leahy, and colors Hi-Fi Design. A kind stranger in a poncho helps a rain-drenched man whose car has broken down. (laughs) Stop me if you've heard this before. Using some fishnets and sex appeal, the stranger entices the man inside her own vehicle. The stranger knows all about the man and even has evidence that he is involved in looting his company's liquid assets and maybe investment fraud. You may guess that the stranger is Dinah, but she has glowing eyes. What's that about? Is she a metahuman now? It is Dinah, and she is using scare tactics to get answers from this guy, but he says he's blackmailed and he won't budge to get the, give those answers. Dinah and Babs in her ear let him go since they aren't going the way of bat tactics and they decide to give him the opportunity to call if he changes his mind. After some fun back and forth between the two girls, Babs begs for food and Dinah stops by an Italian restaurant. They continue gabbing once Dinah finally removes her glowing eyes. Apparently she wore that in the restaurant and even question what they are doing in regards to to surveillance right before having a transcendent experience with (laughs) some shrimp, (laughs) maybe even orgasmic. I don't know. They are rudely interrupted by Mr. Fisher, the man from the beginning, seemingly writing a suicide note. While Bad says this was not in his psych profile, she sends Dinah off and tries to talk him down. It gets worse when he says he's going to take his family with him, and Dinah is running with urgency and makes it to the apartment, only to see Mr. Fisher surrounded by two randos named Savant and Creote, which actually, if you've read volume three of Birds of Prey, you'll Mm -hmm. recognize these people. But anyways... A fight ensues, and while Canary holds her own, her legs are broken with an escrima stick, I believe, ironically, uh-huh. and she uh-huh. is taken while Babs puts out an alert for help and shortly receives a message from Savant. Okay, so this is part one. Uh, so we'll talk about the covers first. Yes. Any thought on this cover? <laughs> you you have Dinah and your batons. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's... Fine. I mean, it's. 
I don't particularly love it, but I've seen worse. You know, I like the framing device with the batons. And, you know, I mean, we we sort of, I think the costume is relatively modest. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not cut up to her neck. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's fine. (laughs) I've got some questions about some of the interior art, particularly with some of the other, as we move through the issues, but we can hold on those for a little bit. So, (laughs) yes, no, I, yeah, I think it's not, you know, Ed Benes, he does beautiful art. Yes. I think no one can deny this. I think yes. it's a matter of sometimes where his focus is yes. on the art. Yes. Yes. Which we we absolutely will talk about. But the I mean, once you see all these side by side, you have a focus on three of the characters and yes. then the ultimate cover yes. you have all, everyone all together. So yeah. that that is a pretty cool thing. But looking at this, yeah. you can't tell necessarily what the story is, which I always no. check to see. So yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, my first question, in fact, was, is it me or are there a lot of crotch shots? There are, but let's face it, at least it's a covered crotch, mostly. (laughs) I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised when I'm reading comics and there's women's crotches that are suitably attired, I guess covered we're not seeing whether they have a brazilian or not a brazilian Um, yes (laughs) yeah i guess i i am not used to that i mean i'm used to this yes there's a butt shot right there right 100 used to that but the crotch shot especially like on page three or so i know when she's doing something weird in the car i thought this is a bit gratuitous it is because that's when she's like kicking him out of the car, like when he's like pulled his gun and everything. Yes. So it's yeah. I'm like, well, all right, that's that was a choice, but okay, it was a choice. And so then the question is, are we? Do we give Gail Simone benefit of the doubt and say that Benes took license on this, or do you think that she actually had a panel description that read something that then Benes actually drew? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see the script. You know, yeah, it, I don't know, but. Even though there are a multiplicity of crotch shots, again, it's not, they're gratuitous, but they're not, like I said, you don't get to know everything about them. So, I mean, it's a modest crotch shot, if such a thing exists. Yeah. We can, (laughs) yes. It does now, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Now, before we get to the climax of this issue where um, what we think we know is turned on its head, did mm-hmm. you feel at all leading up to that that this was too low level for the birds of prey of a mission? I, well, initially I did. But then when I was starting to read it, we found out that he was sort of what the head of the third largest farming conglomerate. I mean, you know, so I figured he's got to be big business. And I, you knew it had to be going somewhere because it seemed so low level, at least at the beginning, at least to me. But the thing I was a little troubled by is sort of in that car sequence and everything when she says something about how when she's driving that she's going to start pouting if he doesn't start talking i mean it it was just so that i found super annoying because it's you know and i mean oracle's driving by proxy but of course he doesn't know that but you know and i understand that as she's sort of using her feminine wiles and and all of that to sort of seduce him into Mm -hmm. getting into the car but some of that i was a little troubled by but again it's gail simone and i'm pretty much a big gail simone (laughs) so yeah i'm willing to cut a lot of leeway here and that one i mean i certainly noticed that one i think in it's either part two or part three with Huntress. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that guy says that he would go on if she goes on a date with yes. him. Then, yes. And I'm Josh, like, the what? parking lot attendant or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, 
do you, is she just leaning into some stereotypes? Because certainly I think she is, she leans into them and then she also flips them because. And that's it. I think we're starting to like lean into them so that we can subvert them, you know, and sort of make fun of them in that way. Yeah. So are we okay to put up with then some discomfiture in order to get to like her larger purpose? I am. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I know, know that, you know, is, but... I've I've heard her on a couple panels where people have criticized her in particular with how her birds of prey are dressed and we could just take Dinah and the fishnets aren't new, but we'll just say that. Right. And she says, well, you know, there is something about women wearing what they want to wear and feeling exactly. empowered in that way. So I think we can criticize, but also I think author intent is that she's just trying to show that these women want to be the women they want to be. And so who exactly. Are we to- criticize them. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that I think that as we start to think about women in real life or in comics or wherever being who they want to be, you know, that we need that that runs the entire gamut. So, I mean, if you want to dress in very sexy kinds of ways, I mean, the whole notion of feminism is that it empowers women to be and do and act in the ways that they choose to, whether that agrees with our own personal choices or not. So, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So the big thing that I loved about Dixon's run that wasn't really felt in Hernandez's run, short run is the relationship between Dinah uh-huh. and Babs. Do you get a good yes. sense of that strong relationship in this issue? Oh, yes, absolutely. Especially with the takeout and sort of the, <laughs> uh, their bonding over like the fish and then try the tuna. Yeah. I mean, that part was so much fun. You know, and that if we we had shrimp like this or tuna like this all the time, we wouldn't need men. I mean, you know, that, that part was <laughs> yes. funny. And so, then it like falls over backwards. Yeah. Because it's so good. Yes. yes. I mean, I've never had transcendent tuna in that way, but perhaps yeah. it exists. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> so also in that, because that was mostly a fun conversation, but Dinah asks a really good question mm-hmm. about basically like the ethics of surveillance. And yes. she says, do people or bad guys or people doing bad things have a right to privacy that outweighs the superhero's right to know. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on this? No, I loved that. And that's kind of, and I'm, I, don't want to get into it too much because we'll be dealing with that in the other three issues as well. But that's the thing that I really like about Simone's approach here is that we're starting to talk about things like civil liberties and due process and, mm-hmm. you know, who's got rights and just what Oracle's boundaries should be. Right. Because up until this point, as much as I've absolutely loved her hacking ability into anything, there really hasn't been any kind of focus or concentration or even acknowledgement in some ways that there's lines that she's crossing. Right. And where where should that boundary be? Yep. And does she know where that boundary is? And I think that that's something that Gail Simone kind of deals with a lot, at least in these four this four issue arc. Absolutely. Yeah, because we've seen her hack into the Pentagon. Yes. And I think Blockbuster, we can kind of allow in order mm-hmm. to get his finances because yes. he's, you know, a bad guy. But still, right. you know, you could say that, well, she is stealing, isn't she? Yes, so. yes, absolutely. <laughs> so there is that that big question, certainly. Yeah. Big brother. <laughs> um, now, in was it this one where she looks for help? She has a screen and she's going to send somebody. Yeah, that's like right towards the tail end where she's got like Huntress and there's pictures. There's like those pictures yes. on the screen of who she's going to. Yes. Yes. Now, do you know who this person is? The blonde? Is that supposed to be Power Girl? I don't know. Do you think it is? That's what I've been wondering because I wasn't okay. sure. Yes, I've been questioning. Sorry. I've been questioning the entire time, too. Yeah. 
because obviously, I mean, the other people are pretty close. I wasn't sure if it was Sasha, but that didn't right. make sense because this is post, you know, Batman, Fugitive Murder, uh, all that stuff. But that seems that was one of my guesses. I had asked yeah. a couple other people and they weren't sure. But yeah. I just it seems interesting that she is there because that mm-hmm. relationship is still very fraught. Yes. yes at the very same fractured. time, which I have big questions. Well, this is actually one of my questions is, do you even think Huntress would be on that backup list? Well, you know, there's been sort of this talk up to this point about, you know, whether or not Oracle really likes Huntress or not. I mean, there was yeah. sort of that that little interplay there. So, I mean, obviously, we're, we've got to move all of this towards where we get Huntress on the team, in yeah. essence. So, I mean, there's there's the practical part of it. But, yeah, up till this point, I mean, while there's been some Huntress interaction, there she hasn't been sort of the big focus. So, I think Power Girl would have been a choice. But, again, there's, yeah. so fr- there's such fractured yeah. relationship there at this point that... That's not going to happen. Yeah, but we've at least seen her reach out to Power Girl, even knowing that Power Girl hates her. But I've never really seen Barbara, you know, reach out to Huntress unless she's probably ordered by Batman to do it. So that's why that one Huntress for me seems almost like a really strong leap for Barbara to do so. Simone's big challenge for me was you need to convince me that Huntress should be on this team and that Barbara's going to allow her to be. And Mm -hmm. so- We'll see. We'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> Do you have an opinion on Huntress? Actually, you and I have never talked about this. Is she no. someone that I'm somewhat of a Huntress apologist when it comes to Batman? Because I do think right. that he's a bit rough with her. And, yes. and it's a double standard for, you know, mm-hmm. guys on the team where he'll get upset at them and fire them. But Huntress, yes. that's one and done. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on, on Huntress? Should we give her more allowance or grace than we do? Well, you know, I'm, I've always been kind of fond of Huntress. And I mean, if you go back to, I mean, you know, sort of back to Shag and the blah, ha, ha stuff, <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel bad for Huntress, you know, sort of she gets sort of included on the team there because that's where Maxwell Lord kind of mind melts her into being on the team. So I've always, I've always had a soft spot for Huntress because of that, because in a lot of ways she's manipulated into doing something against her will. Mm-hmm. And that because of that was one of my initial interactions where, you know, with her, I've always been quite fond of her as a result. So, yeah. And I, I mean, obviously I'm team Babs, so I yes. will, I'll yeah. go with Babs if she thinks something is right, but right. reading like no man's land and stuff mm-hmm. and just things with Huntress and Huntress trying so hard to be a part of that team, but just not yes. given much benefit of the doubt or right. working with, yeah, it's, I, yeah. I always try to give her, you know, yes. some grace. Yes. Poor girl. Okay. <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on 56? No, I think 56 is sort of a nice sort of lead into where we're headed. I think it, I mean, it's good for exposition and setup. Yep. Before I move on, do you have a preference storytelling wise between the cold openings that Chuck would do where he would have some tail end of a mission and then go into the main story or like Gail Simone does where she just goes into the main story? I'm sort of agnostic. I like them both. But the English major in me just likes how stories begin, however they happen to do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on to Birds of Prey 57 here of Like Minds Chapter 2. And this was a September 2003 cover date and the same creative team. Mm -hmm. 
Savant cleans himself up from his recent fight before going to see the captive Black Canary. She's bound to a bed. Hey, both her mm-hmm. legs broken, her wrists cuffed over her head, mm-hmm. and he chats amiably with her before getting down to business and asking about Oracle. Savant actually calls Oracle. He has a job for her, and it's a test, and he makes her compose a poem. Black Canary tries to talk to Creole, get him on her side, but it's useless. He's just too loyal to Savant. Huntress is searching for a kidnapped little girl when Oracle calls her for help. Huntress fights her way through some bad guys with Oracle on the line, actually helping her, taking out the kidnappers and then rescuing the baby. Her mission completed. She agrees to help Oracle find and rescue Black Canary. And then elsewhere with Black Canary, uh, she tries a new tact on Creole, seduction. And again, (laughs) there is failure. And as she's left alone, she considers her options. She offers her escape, planning to break her own hand to escape the handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, cover. So now we're focusing on Huntress. Mm -hmm. She's breaking through a window. Kind of a crotch shot, but, mm-hmm. you know, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. That one bothered me more, that crotch shot, than the ones in the previous issue, actually. Do you think it's because of how big the image is? I think it might be. I think it's because it's right there in the co- Although it is not the central focus of the cover. I mean, that's not where your eye immediately goes. Mm-hmm. I'll give give him that. Yeah. But I, I think it's because it's right there and in your face. Yeah. Again, not necessarily any clue as to what the story is about, but character no. focusing. Now, my chief Tata correspondent, Carolyn Coca, also a <laughs> professor. She, let's see, if she were here, she, oh, look, this is funny. I have an ad for Laura Croft. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Heck, how far is this? Ah, do you feel like these are anti-grav boobs? (laughs) I know. And I'm like, well, that's that is certainly a surprise. An interesting image when you get to it. You turn the page and you're like, well, hello. Yeah. You know, everything's strapped in place and it's not moving, is it? It really isn't. <laughs> no. Yeah. So that's the, you know, Ben is obviously makes large tatas, but I think yes. a lot of men don't understand how they work in terms of gravity. Well, I was going to say gravity would, I mean, she has got those things strapped in yeah. because, I mean, th- yes, that's not how gravity works, particularly no. on boobs. Indeed. No. Have you ever seen Benes draw an old woman? <laughs> I'm just saying. Do you mm-hmm. think maybe Fountain of Youth? Mm-hmm. Perky. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll move on. So I'm glad you agree that they're, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're retaining yeah. their shape. Um, yes. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. And those are not A cups. So, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Is it appropriate or necessary to reference the longbow hunters? You know, I I get why they were doing it. I went back and reread the longbow hunters because it's been a while since I had looked at it. I, I don't know because there's much that's made there about how she's not the same person that she was then, but it's been so long since the longbow hunters. I don't know that we necessarily need to go back to that. I found it a little bit shocking just because yes. I think Gail Simone is pretty anti the killing joke. 
Yes, absolutely. And I would be shocked to, I'm sure, I think if I recall correctly, she was probably forced to do some images in her yes. macro run during New 52. Right. I, I right. don't fault her for that. We know that there is lots of editorial mandates right. on her. Right. But I would be shocked if, you know, this Gail Simone would do that. So for her to do a very similar traumatic or reference right. a very similar traumatic similar, event right. for Dinah was, was rather shocking. And right. I'm like you, I understand what she's getting at, but why? Why bring it yeah. up? Yeah, and I didn't know if it was supposed to be that we're supposed to see that there's this big difference between the Dinah of now, Mm -hmm. who is willing to break her own hand and does, even though help is coming in a lot of ways, save herself, that we're supposed to see that wide gulf between who she was and what she's become, and we're supposed to attribute that in some ways to the power of friendship and, you know, the fact that she and Oracle are best buddies at this point, but I don't know that we needed the reference to what has been her great trauma in order to get us there. Yeah. Yeah. And especially since the visual imagery kind of reinforces that, I mean, with her being handcuffed to the bed and the, you know, all of that, Yeah, it, it references mm. a lot of the, and, and there is that panel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to remember if that was there. Yeah. Oracle says, I can't tell you everything Huntress, but the crime scene says at least two men took her and she was injured mm-hmm. maybe badly. Something like this happened to her once before. She almost didn't make it physically or mentally. And when we find her, if it's bad, if it's like that time, then I don't want the fi- first face she sees to be a man wearing a bat with mask. A bat mask. Yeah. Which I get it. And and yeah, Huntress gets it as well. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing is, is that when I went back and read the Longbow Hunters again, because it had been a long time, she clearly is traumatized. She truly, clearly has been beaten and abused. But then we're told in the hospital that her wounds are somewhat superficial, which I thought that's not the case when we look at sort of that visual panel, mm-hmm. both in the Longbow Hunters and then also here. So, but if you're going to reference the history, then you reference all of the history and all of the history doesn't work, right. you know, so. And the and I, some of those wounds stay with her until she's dropped yes. in the Lazarus pit, correct? The pit. Exactly. Yes. Because yeah. I mean, that's when she loses her canary cry. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, those aren't superficial if it takes uh, right, a exactly. to revive you. Reviver. Yeah. And then there's sort of that whole thing when uh, Savant is talking about how he's done this inspection of her, which that was creepy yeah. about how he's, you know, checked her lungs and her, you know, and her, her throat and her vocal cords. But it was, it was in many ways to almost trying to like, I think, reinscribe the trauma that she'd experienced mm-hmm. in the Lombo Hunters because it, Clearly, these things have been done without her consent, right. which not that you're going to consent to your own inspection in the yeah. way that she's at. But I mean, it's it is creepy the way that he discusses the way that he looked at her, and there was no nurse present and all of that other yeah. kind of stuff. Like, I, okay, and I, yeah, <laughs> and I think he even he may ask for consent though after it's, she dies. Yes, does it? yes, yes, like, yes, you, yes. Can yes, I then do an yes. autopsy? If I kill you, can I look at your you know insides? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting also to see the growth of Simone as a writer, because we know that PTSD was such a strong theme in her new 52 run. Mm -hmm. And I would say that Dinah would probably be suffering some PTSD big time. Big time. Yeah, here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we don't see that. Yeah. No. No. Whoo. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Do do you think that it needed to be a non-bat female for Babs? Did it have to be Huntress? Could it not have been someone else. I mean, I'm just thinking Steph. Steph had some yeah. interactions with them. She might not be capable enough to take these people and, down. And that's the thing is that I don't think Steph's got the abilities at this point. I think with who we're dealing here with what Savant is and and uh, Creo, that it has to be somebody like Huntress who has got that grittier, angrier, you know, more pissed off kind of approach to life and living, just generally speaking, than, than Steph does. Yeah. 
I, I think the situation certainly demands that Barbara also get over her, her hate yes. and distrust yes. for her. her. Yes, exactly. Um, she does seem to speak a, a little more softly to her than I'm used to. I'm mm-hmm. sorry there aren't any icicle bubbles, but <laughs> uh, we'll give we'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, any yeah any other thoughts i mean her seduction we don't know why her seduction uh, yes, doesn't work fails. until later yeah yes yes for me some of the art in this was and again some of the art is spectacular mm-hmm. but i got hung up on the like the drawing of the baby there's certain points where the baby like when the baby's on the couch that it it doesn't look like an actual baby it looks like it's wearing her glow in the dark contacts to make her look oh. like a mutant I and I realize I'm being babies. super picky there. Oh, no, that's. That's a weird looking baby. Oh, oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. I was going to yeah. say it's hard to see, but. Uh, you can um, just see the whites of its eyes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, babies have pupils. They do. They're humans. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. There's that. And the other thing that's sort of like hung up for me here is that the the drawings of like the boots and the legs for, for you know, Dinah as she's in the bed, it just. It looked weird, but again, I can't draw to save my <laughs> who am I to criticize? <laughs> Let's pull up an example here. Well, aren't those casts? It I took think me a while, but it, think- it's so weird. But yes, why would they put casts on her? You know, if they're trying to torture her, why would they? Yeah. I don't know. I just because don't know. the story needed to work at the end where she's standing she's crawling on them her, and, yeah. yes that's that's true but but I don't know who has the medical know-how exactly. in the trio to do yes. a cast exactly and they're in like a derelict or I guess they're in his uh in Mr. Fisher's mansion I mansion, think but right. um that apparently has like 20 some floors yeah. from the last issue but is a house in yeah. subsequent issues and apparently also has some medical supplies facilities well yeah. you know when you're the head of the third largest farming conglomerate in the world i guess you got access to things uh, that the regular folks don't i guess so yeah i guess you know with the baby you, you get to see huntress's power as well as oh yes. she you know she is oh she's an okay person right because she's sort of maternal because she's comforting yeah. the baby you yeah. know so and she's I, sort of this hard-edged but also at the same time she's mommy so there you go there you go yeah and then I also just like this little detail of the card. Yes. Yeah. Dinah or Bab says, you know, she's always been there for me. It's a happy birthday. And said, yes. Uh, yes. You old bat on the inside. And <laughs> yes, then love that part was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's for me, that's what I come to expect when I'm reading these is seeing mm-hmm. that growth and the beauty of that ro- relationship between Dinah and Babs. And so, again, the the hard thing for Simone is making me believe that hunters can fit into that and, and become as intimate a right. friend as them. So we'll see. Yeah. Don't spoil it for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any other thoughts on this? No, I think this one moves the okay. story right along. It sure does. Okay. Then we'll move on to 58, which is chapter or part three, October, 2003 is the cover date. Same creative team. Dinah reflects on her training the different methods of Sensei Otomo and Lady Shiva. The difference is pain. Pain is a great motivator, and she is using that pain to escape. She's interrupted by, of course, Andrew Fisher. He wants to help her, but he can't. His family is threatened, and he has to obey. Savant also reflects on his past. He wants to be a hero. Uh-oh. But Bat Jerk stopped him, rejected him, and made him mad. 
Huntress is at, oh, here we go. Huntress is at a parking garage trying to get a lead on Savant's car. The nerdy parking attendant stands in her way, but offers her a deal. The info she wants in exchange for a date. That's not too bad. I think that's actually quid pro quo sexual harassment. I just did a module on that. <laughs> but anyways, she threatens the valet. But he stands firm. I don't know who would stand firm against her. But in the end, she gives in a date for the information. That's, I guess, in the deleted scenes, we don't see it. <laughs> Huntress is worried about how long this is taking, and she urges Oracle to pay Savant off, but Savant doesn't want money. Savant contacts Oracle again. He tests her once more and demands, I think this one is the language. He mm-hmm. asks her a bunch of yeah. questions in different languages and demands that she give him something. She tries to solve, but he threatens to kill Black Canary. She finally agrees to do as he says, but doesn't actually do it. She reveals to Huntress that Savant wants Batman's secret identity. Fisher tries to appeal to Savant to get him to release Black Canary, but Savant reacts violently, threatening Fisher's family, which we find out is locked in the wine cellar. Savant talks to Black Canary. He wants to know about Oracle again. Fisher interrupts, bringing Dinah some tea. Dinah buys time, telling them that she needs feminine products. Whoa. (laughs) And per usual, this embarrasses the men. And they retreat. Dinah's Mm -hmm. victorious. As an extra bonus, Fisher passes her a communicator in the tea, and she calls Oracle. Oracle is able to get Black Canary's position and roots Huntress there. She's told help is coming and Black Canary breaks her own hand. I think specifically just her thumb at this point, Mm. freeing herself. When Savant returns, she ambushes him and flees only to be stopped in her tracks by a flight of stairs. So now she knows what Oracle deals with all the time. Mm -hmm. Huntress arrives. She knocks out Creole briefly and then calls for Black Canary. But Savant, meanwhile, has recovered and goes after Canary. And then Creole gets up right behind Huntress. Okay, so here's our third cover, and it's Oracle, of course, and uh, hashtag Carolyn knows it's her full body, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes it's just a floating head. We don't see her in the chair, so here we go. It looks like she's in duress, so I think that we are led astray in what this could be, Mm -hmm. but she's throwing a battering, and then on the screens, it says, who is Batman? Mm Mm-hmm. Thoughts on this? I like this cover quite a lot. I mean, because even though she's out of the chair and seems to be in distress in some ways, it's still got this very martial arts kind of look to Mm -hmm. it. So she seems to be defending herself. So that part's cool. I guess her chair is behind her. Yeah. Yeah, So it shows that she has agency still and is capable with everything. Yeah. Yeah. I like it as well. I would say maybe the boob size is pretty respectful. It is. It is. You know, I mean, that's not, and the sweater is not clinging to them. No, and no. not really much of a butt shot. No, no, well, uh, it is. You. It's it's pretty. <laughs> it is pretty. Like you said, respectful. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So here was a question that I got. I guess in particular this one. So does Simone? And we we may have we probably already did talk about. It, but here, does Simone lean into the sexiness of these characters too much, or is it all just commentary on men objectifying women in and out of comics? And I, of course, the big example is Josh asking for a date in exchange for information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess you got to give Josh points for trying, especially <laughs> since it appears to have worked. Yeah. But <laughs> you know. Yeah. I honestly don't understand in that scene, though, why Huntress doesn't just, like, shoot him every time. 
I know. Terrible, but there you, know, you go. No, but how she holds back way more than yes. I think is characteristically Huntress. Huntress, yeah. yes. I cannot see her agreeing to go on a date for any reason with parking lot attendant Josh. I just can't. Yeah, I can't either. What's that going to look like? Is she going to keep her mask on? Well, and he says that she can if she's into it. Oh, I mean, oh gosh, this is like New Fifty Two Batman. We keep exactly. the mask on, the sex on yes. the rooftop. Oh, yes, no. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you feel like it's not too much then? What she's doing? Well, no, because again, I like seeing where she's going with a lot of these things, and I like the fact that she's dealing with bigger picture issues like civil liberties and what the limits are. So even though we get sort of super sexy things and also some huntress in no universe would huntress accede to a date with parking lot josh i'm even if she's feeling very kindly that day you know but i also think in some ways that we are moving towards even as the female characters are very sexy we're also moving in some ways toward making male readers uncomfortable because let's face it we are about to talk about feminine products yes yeah of course no one likes talking about the the periods no no you know, and there's the whole play for laughs about having to send, you know, Creote out for uh, for supplies. Yeah. So. You know, I think it's fine in this arc, but if it's a continuing, continuing. theme, mm-hmm. I might say, Gail, it's too much. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because, I mean, we have seen, well, in all kinds of other media where there's that is sort of the, ooh, let's squick men out by the fact that women have what these very natural things called periods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is 2003. So I feel like I'm hoping that I'm trying to push it forward, but I'm hoping that we get to a point where it's not stigmatized because it's a thing. And I think it has gotten better, but until they start representing it in actual forms of media that multiple Mm -hmm. people are seeing, then we're not, we're not not there yet. Yeah. Oh, yes. I uh, I like to call Batman Bat-Jerk from time to time. And by mm-hmm. time to time, I mean all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like Savant was fired by Batman? I My notes that I made was I'm like, Batsy was being a jerk. So, <laughs> And I can understand why Batman would have critiqued what Savant was doing when Savant was trying to be a superhero because mm-hmm. Batman was focusing on rescuing people while Savant was focusing on catching the arsonists. But why could they not have teamed up in some way? I'm you go sure. get the arsonists, I'll save the people from the burning building. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And also, you know, Savant, given that we know that time processes differently for him, you know, maybe he, maybe Batjerk wasn't so much of a that i'm trying to make him a bad apologist occasionally i see so so perhaps he's not being a bat jerk but he is in savant's memory because savant's memory is somewhat unreliable yeah it's interesting he says you're not morally equipped for this job your presence will not be tolerated exactly but he just met him so how does he know yeah it's yeah and i feel like he gives other people well he usually says you know not in my town for the first time but then if you pursue it he might you know watch out for you but yeah it was like one and done exactly so poor savant didn't get to superhero except for like one night from the looks of it and it turned him to a life of crime yeah here we are yeah man so this you think this could have happened to stephanie brown Eh, i don't know so 
think probably not because i mean she's part of the bat family you know? yes you know well she did get fired too she did but she didn't get angry and like go blackmail people yes no she didn't so probably something in savant's nature i guess exactly you know and we know from is it no it's the next issue so i don't want to get into it too too much here but we know that he is clearly batsy's right about some stuff because mm-hmm. we know in the next issue that Savant's had some legal problems in other countries. Mm-hmm. So he perhaps is not morally justified in his heart in order to be doing superhero things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also said that Savant should probably get her uh, along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're both, uh, they both have similar personality traits. Yeah. I did have a, I guess, a technical question in regards to the transmitter that yeah. snuck in. Shouldn't it just be one way? How is Dinah still hearing Barbara? I don't know. I wondered about things with the transmitter as well. And also, if he's slipping it to her in the T, how does it still work? Because he also put a bowl of rice next to it (laughs) to dry it out. (laughs) No. (laughs) I, yes, I don't know. Yeah. I think this is one rock we just don't want to pick up too much and investigate under. It's okay. She's also, I guess I haven't noticed what she's been wearing. Has she worn this outfit the entire time? This kind of like sexy. It's, it didn't, I thought, I don't think so, but it was very evening gowny for sort of watching the monitors and trying to rescue your friend. Yeah. Well, she always wants to look her best. No, it's, no, it looks like it's pink, like a mock turtleneck in the. Okay. Yeah. That one there. But yeah, the other, uh, the other one where she had sort of like, it was looked like the black mesh thing with the dress and the. I don't. Uh, yeah. She had time yes. to change. I think if yes. I were in duress on this mission, I'd be in the same clothes from start to finish. Right. Exactly. Let's see what 56, what she was wearing there. Oh, the mock turtleneck. Okay. So yeah, it's, I think that's an artist error. It must be. Yeah. You're blowing up over there. <laughs> I am. And I stuck the phone in the drawer. So <laughs> <laughs> <I'm trying. laughs> nobody ever calls me except for when I'm doing a podcast. Of course. <laughs> Ain't that just the way I think that because I feel like I've got a lot of, yeah, things to talk about in the next one. Is there anything that else you want to mention? No, I, th- talk about I think this 58? one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the girls are both, it seems like they were on the ups and then at the very end, they're in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So final issue, Birds of Prey 59 and 58 was also DC Wikia entry and then 59 I had to write myself. So this is of Like Minds Chapter 4 finale November 2003 cover date and same creative team. Savant still had the keys to the cuffs, silly bird but at least she has a candlestick. Meanwhile, Huntress is trying to choke out Creote and find Dinah. Mr. Fisher finds his family in the wine cellar and leads them out, then returns in order to repay a debt and help the birds. Babs uses her keen intellect to figure out Savant is from Greece and also deduces his actual identity and backstory. Dinah tries to slide down a banister and nearly gets her private skewer. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Dinah and Huntress are in a bad situation at this point when Oracle pops in and throws Savant off by info dumping his personal story and making him angry. She also starts destroying his files, which makes him run off in order to prevent that from happening. Huntress and Dinah bring Creote down while also burning his ponytail. 
and of course they're helped a little bit by Mr. Fisher. When Savant returns, Dinah gets in some hits while being held upright by mm-hmm. Huntress. Mm-hmm. On their way out, they find out about the backups of Savant's files, but trick him into giving the information to them since he has a memory time issue with his brain. Dinah gets the files and goes to destroy them, but Babs wants to use them. <gasps> Dinah doesn't think it's ethical, but lets Babs decide. So Babs ultimately decides to destroy them, even though Dinah does so before asking. But Babs is sneaky, and she ultimately, ultimately (laughs) restores the data without Dinah knowing. And mm-hmm. next up, data stream. Okay. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about some ethics. So mm-hmm. here's our final cover. I think that this is, as well as the Babs cover, I see this everywhere. Yes. I think it's the cover to the trade paperback, yeah. which is also entitled Of Like Minds. Mm-hmm. I think when people look up Birds of Prey, you kind of see this image. Mm-hmm. So this, when people think Birds of Prey, I think they always think this trio. Yes. Thoughts? Thoughts on this? We don't have full body of bads, but close enough. I mean, no. everyone's cut off at the knees to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. And I mean, it is at this point like this ubiquitous, famous visual for it. So, but it's still sexy. I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of skin. We're seeing a lot of cleavage on Babs. They're perky. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yes, you can't see it, I think, very well here. But if you mm-hmm. look at it, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yep. a lot. Yeah, it's sort of center right there on the covers, the girls. Yes. Now, something that I wondered about, my previous episode, I had covered like six Nightwings. Mm-hmm. And they had two like sleeping shots. One was of Babs and one was of Tarantula. And Tarantula was... She had a cami on and like a thong. Babs had no shirt on. Do you feel like even with this, is there a feeling that because she's in a wheelchair, we need to make her extra sexy in order to like negate the fact that she's in a wheelchair? I, you know, I don't know because I think they're trying to make all three of them sexy, but she is because she's in the center of the team. I think that's, and then also because she's in the wheelchair, that is going to put her in the center of the image. But yeah, that particular cover and the vest, and I realized late 90s, early 2000s, people were wearing vests as <laughs> tops. I mean, it was a thing. Um, so you saw a lot of that on college campuses back then, but it, <laughs> It, she is very sexualized there in ways that she is sexy and powerful in other ones, but it is it is sexualized in ways that gives me a little pause yeah. there, at least me. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And there's that vest only has one button. Yeah, exactly. She moves I'm, and we're I'm in trouble. To, I know. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I'm used to at least two or three buttons on my vests. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And all of them were, were firmly buttoned. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay. Well, my first comment was butt shot. And I wondered which butt shot I was thinking of. Oh, it's probably her riding down the banister. Yes. Actually. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. That whole page is filled yes, with Yes, it's, it's all butt shots yeah, on that one. Got, yes. Yeah, there she is. Yes. There she is. Man. Yep. So many butts. And who See? among us doesn't keep a pointy thing at the end of our banister to stop us when Ooh, we slide down it? Yeah, that was, I don't know why she did that. Yeah, aren't they usually just like <laughs> rounded, wooden like wooden yes. balls? Yes. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, I guess something I guess if you're a rich guy, then you, you have like pointy silver things. Want. Yes. Silver or platinum. Who knows? 
<laughs> I there's probably something that I'll ask Gil Simone if I ever speak with her. Just yes. um, how much direction I think she gave art wise. Because mm-hmm. I think you know a couple butt butt shots here or there in the arc is one thing, but when you right. have multiple in one issue, issue and on one page, yeah, yeah, okay. I did say, ironically, there are many layers of potential women in refrigerators since Dinah mm-hmm. is taken to get to Babs to get to Batman's secret mm-hmm. identity. Absolutely. And I feel like that is potentially, you know, tongue in cheek from Simone since we know that she's the one who who coined mm-hmm. that. But that was uh, pretty interesting. Do you feel like it can be a woman in refrigerator if a woman is on the other side of it? Well, Yeah. Because I think women in refrigerators is is ultimately genderless. But I do think that given the era here, given that it's 2003 and we're, we're talking about the women in refrigerators then, it had been mostly male focused at that point. I think probably the expansion to where it could be women fridging other women in some ways is sort of more, as you've seen, greater diversity in comics has grown, you know. But back then it was probably more sort of women being fridged for the purposes of advancing a male plot. Mm-hmm. But I do think, because she's been playing with things and subverting things here, I think this is another issue of her playing with the trope and subverting it in some ways and reclaiming it in some ways. Yeah. Because nobody dies, nobody does wind up in a fridge, and the girls win, you know, the mm-hmm. women win. So, Were you shocked by the, the Batman reveal? This really happened in the previous issue. The fact that Savant really wants Batman's identity because in the first two issues, it really seemed that he wanted to know who Oracle was. Yes. And then all of a sudden it was, well, he wants to know who Oracle was because he knows Oracle knows Batman. Batman. Are you shocked about that? Would you have just preferred it to be Oracle? Probably. But I also think that in many ways, because she's part of the Bat family, Batman is always hanging over things and he's kind of the ultimate prize. I get because, of course, Batsy was the reason that Savant didn't get to be a superhero. I buy the explanation, Mm -hmm. I guess, which is what makes it okay for me. Yeah. And perhaps if she had, if Simone had just kept it Oracle being the focus, it would have seemed too much like the hunt for Oracle story. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe she's trying to do something a bit different. Right. So Savant says that the essence of betrayal is female. Any thoughts and, on this? <laughs> and bl- and likely blonde, you know, which given that you know, Huntress is not blonde, I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> and he has no idea what Oracle looks like. I guess his focus really here is Black Canary. But he has been bested by the three women and um, – particularly Oracle, and he's not taking well to his defeat, is he? No. And it's interesting that he says female because wouldn't he think that Batman betrayed him? Right. But so, but I also think because time does strange things in his head, the betrayer is the one that he can see, you know, that's sort of right in front of him. Because again, he probably at this point, you know, because I think that Oracle did not use a voice disguiser because he said he wanted to hear her real voice. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. he was going to kill Black Canary. So he probably realizes that she's female. He knows, obviously, that Huntress and Black Canary are female. But it's the focus on the blonde that gets me there, too. Because so I do think it's the betrayer is the one that is in front of him. Yeah. And it's interesting thinking about the word betrayal. I would assume that that person was at some point on your side. Yes. And then did something against you. But did right. Dinah ever pretend to be on his side or? No, no. She she pretended with Creote. She's been at least kinder to 
Fisher than she had been initially mm-hmm. once she realized that his family had been kidnapped. But now I don't think she ever was friendly in any way, shape, or form to try and get out of things yeah. with Savant. Yeah. Although he did say early on that she'd been, other than the fact that she tried to bite Korea at once, that uh, she'd been a good guest. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, maybe the maybe he is just talking about, I, I think you're right that it's his focus at the time. If the most likely blonde is he's guessing that Babs is blonde, yes. maybe that could be the betrayal because yes. she yes. seemed to have been going along with what he had been asking the entire time. Right. Now, oh, look, there's someone else in play yes. here. Obviously. Yes. So. Okay. Well, I'm sure Donovan will love to hear this quote. <laughs> You'll probably agree with it and think that it's me. Um, <laughs> okay. So Dinah tells Huntress that Huntress won't be able to take Savant and Creote because Dinah herself couldn't and mm-hmm. Huntress couldn't take Dinah. So it's kind of this like, mm-hmm. basically Huntress is at the bottom of the, the fighting pile. Do you think it makes sense that, well, number one, does that reasoning make sense? But then does it make sense that at the end, Huntress is holding up a hobbling Dinah and Dinah somehow gets some hits in on Savant? (laughs) Very ridiculous panel, in my opinion. Oh, it absolutely is. But it's, I found it funny, ridiculous and funny. (laughs) (laughs) Because I just think it's hilarious that Canary thinks that that Huntress is not as good a fighter as she is. Mm-hmm. But that whole thing where she where Huntress is holding Dinah up so that she can punch Savant, it's just fun. She and then at the end where she said that she wants to be the one to put the cuffs on him. Yeah. She's like her crutch, basically. Yes. Hold me up while I take this guy out. <laughs> it's sort of got this whole scrappy do let me at him, let me at him type thing going, you know. Yeah. I guess the only reason, if you're unaware of these characters' history, then the right. previous issue will, of course, serve to show Dinah's fighting background. Mm-hmm. And she is one of the best fighters in the yes. DCU. So I do I do agree with her that Huntress yeah, probably I think she's couldn't right. take Dinah. Yes. Yeah. I am a bit surprised, I think, that Dinah couldn't take Savan and Creote. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have been mere, it could be size and numbers, but mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that maybe that was plot based or do you think that she really would struggle with these two? Uh, probably more plot based because I mean, okay. she's, at least to me, she's kind of a badass too. I mean, yeah. obviously Canary is one of the best fighters in the DCU, but mm-hmm. you know, Huntress is no slouch. Yeah. And, and I guess Gail helps her plot by breaking Donna's legs. Yes, because that seemed like, well, now she's really out. And how can you fight right. with two broken legs? But maybe exactly. she were at full capacity. Right. She'd be able to. Yes, take them. exactly. OK. OK. So we get to this ethically ambiguous decision that Babs mm-hmm. is making. And I could say decisions because, of course, the surveillance overall mm-hmm. in, in this arc. Are you surprised at it? What are your thoughts on what she does at the end? I'm not surprised at it because I think think we're ramping up to and again it's been forever and a day since i've read past where you and i are talking now but i think we're ramping up to this whole notion of her figuring out where boundaries need to be and the consequences of not having boundaries because that has been the thing for me for this entire like i said from the from the get-go with chuck dixon with the birds of prey thing is that she's doing all these really amazing things and she's so caught up in the fact that she can do all these really amazing things and it's become her identity as Oracle because she can't be Batgirl anymore, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there are no boundaries as to where the information superhighway can take her. And at a certain point, she loses herself here. 
and I think that we're sort of ramping into seeing the consequences of her losing herself. Because, I mean, there's been, in this four-issue arc, there's been something in each one of the issues about, mm, there's got to be a stop point, there's got to be a boundary. You can't do that. We need to talk about civil liberties. Do you not believe in things like, you know, due process? And she says she does, but then she doesn't really because she said the stakes are too high. So she's finding ways to justify it to herself. Mm -hmm. She gets, I I guess I'm not there yet. And I I think I've read maybe, no, maybe I haven't. This might be new territory for me. I don't know. But it seems like how you're describing it, we're getting close to like 1984 and like very much like a big Mm -hmm. sister and just, yeah, where does her... Power yeah, well, and I mean, if you speak, Big Sister is a great way to frame it because if you go all the way back to issue one, like when she first picks up Farmer, and there's that whole "you've got a week to get righteous, don't make Big Sister come back for you." Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think that is kind of where we're headed a little bit. Okay. Do you feel like Batman has boundaries in this area? And and I only ask not to you know be like oh bad jerk, but she you know he is to a certain extent um, he modeled behavior for her. Yes. So if he modeled poor behavior then perhaps she had picked up on it but do you feel Mm -hmm. like he has boundaries i think it depends on what point in the comic we are and who's writing it you know because i think that for me that's always sort of waxed and waned over the years as to where his boundaries are because not having boundaries is sometimes bitten him in the ass i mean Mm -hmm. and i can't think of any good example right offhand because that would be helpful and convenient if i could but i do think that he does have a moral and ethical paradigm in which he operates. But the thing to me that's interesting here is that she thinks she does too. And I think that that's getting more permeable than she realizes at this mm-hmm. particular point. Yeah. That she's do- using, she's doing something bad, but for good. Good reason. Exactly. Yeah. But then where's the line of like good guys and bad guys. And exactly. Case? Yeah, exactly. I do think with Batman, I think of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight yes. and all that surveillance. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, that was certainly um, yeah. crossing many lines. And, yes, and exactly. Boxes as an outside person was the mm-hmm. one to let him know. So that's yeah. an example that just comes to, yes. to mind. Right yeah. Away. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as we go on, I mean, it is sort of that outside person that kind of has to make that point and sort of like put a rein on someone and go, no, you can't do this. And while mm-hmm. it's true, she's been hearing it both from Black Canary and Huntress. I assume as we go on further here, that that's going to come to a, a boiling point at some yeah. point. Just, I mean, the way that's ramping up here, it has to. Yeah, Simone has, and hopefully it does, because I think Simone yeah. certainly has used that conversation over the orgasm yes. shrimp yeah. as a Chekhov's gun that right. you, we started here. And so now we'll we'll see it. Mm-hmm. Because I think Dinah would be the person that Babs would listen to the most. I yes. No, Huntress. Yeah. I guess it depends on where the Huntress relationship goes, but I think Dinah's the one that would be kind mm-hmm. of her, um, her Nathan to David. I will say this is a funny image of Dinah on the motorcycle mm-hmm. and just her leg being <laughs> yes, sprawled just, out. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, that's oh. funny. Oh, boy. So, my final question besides the rating is just about the chemistry of the three women. So Babs and Dinah, Dinah and Huntress, Huntress and Babs. Yeah. Is it successful? How successful? I think it is. I mean, it obviously is triangulating because we're adding Huntress as sort of the third character to a duo that's worked so incredibly well. You know, and I mean, when your friendship group expands, 
things change a little bit. So I think that that's where we're headed. But I think it's working. I mean, because, I mean, she's finding ways in which she's bonding both with Oracle and then also with Black Canary. Mm -hmm. And then sort of, I'm interested to see as we go on here, how the three of them work together, because it's Mm -hmm. been sort of this duality or this duopoly, you know, sort of as we've been working our way through these four issues. But I, you know, you bring someone new into the group and it's going to change things a little bit, but I think it's working. Yeah. I think the the Dinah and Baz one was certainly the most successful mm-hmm. because how much bonding can you really do yes. amidst distress? So Dinah yeah. and Huntress have some fun times, but yeah. um, we'll see. And then seeing Babs and Huntress together in person and not mm-hmm. just talking over the airways right. will be a really big yes thing for me to see and and whether I believe it or not (laughs) but it's just yeah I mean it's just hard for me to believe that Huntress is in this group right now yes because I know how much Babs does not like her right and things are going to have to change quite a bit for it to turn into the you know the the kind of relationship that she's had all the way along with Black Canary and to sort of have that same trust level I think it's easy if you were a new reader or you had only read Birds of Prey yeah. to buy into this. But mm-hmm. because you and I both have, you know, have some Batman yeah. background and, and I had seen like so much Huntress kind of from the beginning that that's why it's it's a hard sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm keeping an open mind. That's what I told everyone about Gail Simone because I didn't like yeah. her Batgirl New 52. But I thought, OK, this is different Gail Simone. Yeah. I'm going to keep an yeah. open mind. Any other thoughts on this particular issue or the arc overall? No, I I think overall it was a lot of fun and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. <laughs> it sure will. I Like I said, I don't think I've read these issues, so it's all new to me. But I'm <laughs> glad that it's, you know, a consistent writer, which will be yes. nice. Yes. How much would you give it out of 10 burning ponytails? <laughs> Ten burning ponytails. That's a good one. I like that. Probably a seven. Okay. Yeah. I liked it quite a bit. You know, there were some issues with gravity. There were some issues with crotch shots, but plot wise, it was fine. And I really liked, I liked that while Huntress is not integrated seamlessly, it's, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. So seven burning ponytails for me yeah i i agree with you seven burning ponytails the art is beautiful but some of the things that the art does is is a little weird correct (laughs) and yeah leaning in a lot to the objectification and Mm -hmm. kind of the the cliches and things and i just i think it's fine for one arc but i'm i'm gonna see if simone continues to do this yes and then the mission itself was not like the most interesting. No. But I think the the themes behind it was probably the most and yes. uh, interesting part of it. Yes. And we know that Savant and Creote return. I know yes. they return return like way back in way, you know yeah. 2010 or whatever. Right. But yes. I'm sure that they'll come back in full before that. Okay. Okay. I did forget in my email to you, I, I do literature recommendations. Oh, I cool. normally do it at the end of the episode, but okay. I wasn't sure if there are any books that you have read, uh, you're currently reading, or anything that you think our audience would like to read. Hmm. 
I really love the writer Elizabeth Peters. She died a few years ago. Her first book is called Crocodile and Sandbank. And Mm -hmm. there's a whole series that she does. And it's one of my all-time favorite books. It's about a female archaeologist whose name is Amelia Peabody. And it's set in 19th century Egypt. And she meets Radcliffe Emerson. So it's chiclet romance but it's <laughs> but peter's actually had a phd in egyptology oh. and um they are funny and they're fabulous and they're interesting and amelia peabody is just a magnificent heroine and given that my phd is actually in victorian literature so oh, um, interesting yeah so i love stuff set in the 19th century so elizabeth peters crocodile and sandbank good place to start so strong female heroine and just it's there's 20 some books i think in the series and it's a lot of fun and you're telling me that they're shipping oh absolutely they're shipping <laughs> that's all i want to hear i do what i can i give you shipping so. <laughs> oh thank you so much for coming thank on you. and some birds of prey this was wonderful thank you for asking me and for having me this has been a delight yeah i hope you can come back on and do some uh, more i would love it that'd be terrific is there any place that people can find you or can they support you in any way? You have um, any uh, books out? <laughs> well, no, not yet. But uh, if that if that comes to pass, I will let you know. Probably the best way is uh, I'm on Facebook, but I'm also on Twitter at Jennifer Swartz 2. So probably the best way to find me is uh, Twitter. And people want to shoot me an email. It's the Lake Erie College website, lec.edu. I'm in the directory. I am the only Swartz Levine there. So can find me there and send me an email just don't email her on the weekend no because well you can but i won't respond till monday (laughs) (laughs) as is your right right. okay well i'm going to come back by myself Uh, when i return i'm gonna read some listener emails cover some modern quickies including nightwing and do a full review of batgirls number nine but first zias's radio hour featuring red flavor by red velvet
Actually, going to start this part with some listener emails before I get to the quickies and then Batgirls number nine. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. News here. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. So from episode 223, I do have a few YouTube comments and then two emails. And of course, part, if you recall, part two came out before part one, which is going to be the true of this as well. So the first comment is from Hornacek and... They say it could be in other movies slash bat movies, but the scene you described with Nightwing shooting a grappling hook and swinging his motorcycle reminded me of a scene from the 1989 Batman movie where Batman is in the Batmobile being chased by the Joker's goons and he has to make a sharp turn. So the Batmobile shoots a grappling hook and attaches to a lamppost and he's able to make the turn. The Joker's goons don't make the turn and crash. If you search for Batman Batmobile grappling hook 1989 on YouTube, you should find a six second clip of this. And that was exactly the scene that I was thinking of. So thank you for coming to my rescue and reminding me of what I was thinking when I was reading that scene. Hornacek also says the only quote rain ruin end quote reference I could find was of a 2022 video game, probably the same one you mentioned, a first person shooter walking simulator type psychological horror game lost in the mountains and sheltering from the rain in her ruins. She had no choice, but to reveal her night in the ruins as she relies on her smartphone's lights to explore the pitch black ruins. She hears a cry out of nowhere. And that was all quotation, a synopsis, I suppose. And no idea if slash how this would apply to this step scene. Yeah, that certainly sounds like a mix of that demo that the playable demo that was from the guy who did uh oh the guy who did metal gear solid and (laughs) oh that's not good i know his name but i can't remember it so he did i can't remember what that sim was that you can't get anymore but it was this demo that you could do that was horrifying but it sounds like a mix of that and then also alan wake because of course you have to use flashlights in alan wake and from 223 part one 
FYI episode one from 12 years ago. Here we go. Was a couple of seconds under 26 minutes long. So close to that under 20 minutes claim. Well, thank you for keeping me or holding me accountable. And I think the final comment comes from one of my friends. At least he likes to call me that Harry shoot. And he corrected me because I couldn't remember what the Predator game was called. And of course, I was, I've been playing with him at its Predator Fireteam Hunt. I don't think that's what it is. It's called Hunting Ground. So he's trying to troll me. He said Predator colon Fireteam Hunting. You know, I did the best I could. I've actually been playing Aliens Fireteam Elite. I think that's what it's called with Harry. And that has been a lot of fun as well. And... Yeah, unfortunately, if I play late at night, not the Predator game that hadn't had any adverse effects, but the Aliens Fireteam Elite, if I play late at night and then immediately go to bed, uh, there have been two times that I've like woken up in a panic and thought that this shadow in front of my closet was in fact a xenomorph that was hanging out there. So... I either can't play it right before bed or I need to do something in between playing and going to bed. So last time I read a chapter of a book and then went to bed. So that worked out. And I will think of the man's name. I'll think of it before someone corrects me. So anyways, or tells me who it is. From my Earth 2 BFF, we've got... One email from her and then an email from somebody else. So Shana says, BFF Stella, there's definitely much better queer representation in media these days. I haven't seen an instance of gay panic in anything recently, though in my experience, there is still a bit of queer baiting and stereotyping that happens. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, the most recent queer baiting episode was most likely Finn and Poe. Because it seemed like it was a will they, won't they? And then they they did not. And I haven't seen it, but I had heard of some really terrible queer baiting because it seemed like they were really pushing for it and Teen Wolf and then never pulled the trigger. And I will say that because Shana does also in a later email, but uh, I'll probably just stick with this big one, ask me what I think about Paper Girls. And there's certainly some gay panic in Paper Girls, though it's warranted with what's going on. And I will say without spoiling anything about the Amazon series that I loved Paper Girls and Tom and I recorded a special on his pop culture affidavit over at the Two True Freaks on that series because a couple years ago we had talked about the comic series. So if you're interested in hearing our thoughts and and having a discussion about that, then go over there. I think it's supposed to come out next week. So I guess when, you know, the same week as, as this episode is dropping. So continuing the email, I also don't recall Batgirls being promised as a cast staff book. I thought the focus was supposed to be on all three of them. Same. At least that was the impression I got from Clunan and Conrad. I think from what I heard around, some fans are upset because some of the covers have led them to think otherwise, i.e. variants for number one that only had cast and staff on them. Also, if you think about the main cover for this one, I tried to find some more evidence for this being marketed as a cast Steph book and asked around, but couldn't find any other answers. That being said, we had a Steph arc for the first six issues, and these last two issues don't seem to focus on any individual background in particular. So I don't really understand where this feud is coming from, but perhaps this conversation is more complicated than I am giving it credit for. It seemed like that Twitter conversation was 
getting pretty hot and heavy, I decided to stay out of it, of course. I think I just had pointed out that if you really want to have an argument, then you need to have someone count all the panels with people in it, you know, especially with Babs and seeing how many panels she's in it, because I would I think that it's supposed to be a team book. I, that was my impression from everything. And I was a little put off just the fact that it didn't seem as team oriented as it was initially solicited as because it did seem Cass and Steph heavy and I'm that's fine. But if you're saying it's a team, then it should be, I think there should be some equality there, but maybe they're the writing team is just kind of getting to understand what they actually want to do. And we'll start to do it because I feel like with issue nine, it was pretty equal with, let me think if that's a true statement or not. I'll get back to you now that I'm thinking about that. But, you know, the cover for nine just shows Stefan Cass. So we'll see. I have very little to say about Batgirl's number eight. For as big of a threat as Seer was when the series began, I felt a little let down about how things ended with her. Do you think we'll see her again? It doesn't seem to me that Barbara would admire her. I agree with you. I think a better description would be to have compassion or empathy for Seer. Some of my favorite words. I guess if there is any admiration for Seer or calculator for that matter, it would be for their skill with a computer. All the best, Shannon. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. That admire word was just... It's interesting because when I think about admire and had I thought about this earlier, I would have done some research on language of origin, which if I were to guess, I would say Latin and mirror mirari or admiror and which is like wonderment or amazement. It should be in that, you know, having that prefix towards somebody. And that usually, of course, leads to wanting to not necessarily become them, but certainly act similarly to them. And I don't think, I mean, Barbara is a grown woman, so I I don't think necessarily that is. Yes, I think looking at that computer setup and seeing how young Seer is, she might show respect, like mad respect for for what you've done with this at, at such a young age, but admire is not necessarily the word that I would use. And I do feel like we'll see her again. I think there is so much buildup, not only in this book, of course, but with everything that was going on in Fear State, that that seems like a terrible waste of a character. And it, it may have already been just because of how much buildup it was for in Fear State. And then coming over here, you're like, this is going to be the big bad that'll last for 30 issues or something. So I think that Sierra will pop up again. I think Sierra will be doing some machinations in the background, maybe the arch nemesis of the team that just repeatedly pops up and uses other agents. And then you find out, oh my gosh, would you believe it's the kingpin? No, it's this year. So I imagine that I will see her or we will see her again. Okay. And then thanks, Shana, for writing in. And then our final email is from Adam Rogers. And he says, and you know what I need to ask people, I think, to do for me in the future is if you write into me, <laughs> I think you should put your pronouns because I'm guessing and I shouldn't probably do that. So I should just use third person and say, Adam. So Adam says, but if you would like to, you can give me your pronouns just so I don't ever mess that up. But Hornacek, I'm led to believe that Hornacek might be a man, but I use they just in case. So anyways, here we go. So Adam says, I don't see any point in a predator movie without violence. It's literally a horror movie about an alien hunter who goes to other planets with the strict purpose of violently slaughtering the natives. If you don't want to see the violence, you might as well 
well just not watch the movie LOL and then has a hands up uh, emoji and when the sweating nervous ones. Uh, I will say, Adam, I don't know that you necessarily listened to what I said about that. I didn't say I had any problems with the violence. I said I thought it ridiculous that in an edited version of the film, we edit out the word vagina, but we see a man's head blown off and a shield come up and take off another guy's legs. So I was unsure about what exactly should be edited and what is not. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, a predator is all about the violence. I knew going in what I was seeing. I've seen all the predators before. That was a repeat viewing. So that that was that was my point there. Uh, also, just a recommendation for everybody. I highly recommend Prey, which was amazing and perhaps one of the most respectful representations of native people that I've actually ever seen. But the lead character is amazing and the predator there is pretty amazing. And and seeing the first time that the predator comes to earth was pretty cool. Continuing on as for the cursing though, words like vagina and penis aren't so much cursing as inappropriate. Although in a critical setting, literally talking about the body parts in a non-crass way is a bit different. However, words like dick or pussy are cursing. I, yeah, I guess it depends on when you're using it. I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily drop vagina or penis in like a dinner setting, but they were on a bus and they were military people. I mean, they all had their various issues and this guy was the the jokester. So I guess they wanted to go with hoo-ha. And as for pussy that you're using, I do wonder in what context you're using it, because if you're literally talking about the vagina, that's one thing. But if you call somebody a pussy, are you aware that that is actually short for pusillanimous? I don't think many people do. I think people call someone else a pussy thinking that it's a, a an insult because you're calling them a, a name or word associated with female genitalia, but it is not. So just, Yeah. Everyone should be looking up pusillanimous to uh, see if you're using pussy correctly. And here we go. Uh, there's a big difference between talking about literal body parts in a non-crass way and running into a room and just shouting penis or vagina, LOL, and the, the sweaty emoji. It's just not appropriate to talk about the private's intimates in public. It's not the words themselves. It's the subject matter. It's like talking about gross things at the dinner table. I certainly agree with you. I think my point is more that people are more easily offended whenever vagina is used and penis can be used in media and it won't be bleeped out or anything. As for Babs admiring her villains, I don't see a problem with this. It's entirely possible to admire aspects of a person's character, like their skills and or determination without admiring their actions. Sure, she used her skills inappropriately, but that doesn't change the fact that she's highly skilled, especially for her age. I didn't read the issue myself, so this is just my observation from what you relayed and showed on those select panels. As for the cast back row run, I blame the writing. This era seems to be notorious for Batman being inconsistent with his character in other eras. Well, most other air sweaty emoji at least in my experience i'm most familiar with the batman who is cold and calculating with a rough exterior but who clearly cares about those around him he may never or almost never openly admit that he was wrong but he often accedes when he is wrong even if he won't vocally state it lol sweaty emoji and he tends to be more tactically sound than he was portrayed near the end of the issue sure he wouldn't be shooting Mm, sure he wouldn't be shocked i'm not sure what this should be 
he wouldn't want any loss of life, but he wouldn't put multiple civilian lives in danger to protect a single criminal. He'd protest, but realize that stopping the murder would put several others in danger. A scolding can wait until after the situation is resolved. And in the next issue, I don't see stopping a WMD as political at all. Dr. Death seems to have come from Gotham, so Bruce is only their there to clean up his own mess. Politics is all about people arguing behind closed doors while people like Dr. Death have boots on the ground, putting lives in danger. Bruce doesn't want to get caught up in the inner workings of someone else's territory. Uh, I'm not sure if that's coming from me or not about the politics, because it did seem that Bruce didn't want to get involved in what was going on in the country itself. But I don't know if you're responding to something that I said or in the issue. And I'm just trying to forget those issues anyways, because I didn't care for them. I will say that, yeah, this Cass and Backerel run basically is not the best. Even Donovan has said that it's, he kind of jumped off the book or lost interest in it until a certain point of time. So I know that, you know, I, my expectations are generally low now when I read that. And you're putting words into Bruce's mouth, unless there's a panel you didn't show that says otherwise. He didn't say that he and Cass were not there to help people. Again, I'd say stopping WMDs is very helpful for the people of the area. He's just getting her to focus on the mission, LOL. This is in Gotham. He doesn't care about the petty squabbles amongst the local politicians and people in power there. He wouldn't want outsiders meddling with the inner workings of his city, particularly without permission like that either. He just wants to make sure Cass is focused on the main priority, the reason they're there, which is to stop the WMD. The politics can be sorted out later and by locals who are both better equipped and qualified to do so. But that that country doesn't have that. So they'll never get sorted out. That's from me. Then Batman and Batgirl can go back to Gotham and deal with their politics in their own city. Well, Bruce doesn't really get involved in that. And I don't know what Cass is going to do. Gotham needs constant attention. They can't drag their feet overseas dealing with something the locals can handle. That being said, if there's something small he can do that doesn't interfere with his mission, he'll likely do it anyway. But he's not about to get involved. Well, I, I will say that when you're driving past an area and there is a woman and two of her children or one of her children on the ground with guns to their heads and you don't ask the people driving to stop and do something, I think that shows some inactivity, inaction, and not helping. And she, I don't think that I put words, I guess I'll say two things. First of all, if you have listened to this or watched this Many people know that I am just overdramatic and exaggerate things when it comes to Batman, Bruce Wayne, and it's mostly to get at Donovan because he gets upset at it. But in that case, that was pretty well written in that bathroom scene where he said that they weren't there for that. They weren't there to help the people where they needed to help. Like they had to stop the WMD. Yes, that means helping people. But he was telling her that she couldn't help out with some of the other issues, human rights issues that were going on. So I don't think that was putting words into his mouth, but I do, you know, get dramatic where he is involved. So it could have happened. As for her seeing people mistreated, she's been in Gotham for a while, mostly during no man's land for crying out loud, sweaty emoji. I doubt the streets look much different there. Maybe the government is less oppressive, but there are plenty of criminals with their boots on other people's necks with little regard for human life. Yeah, but she in Gotham, if she saw that, she would stop it. So I think that's the difference here is that they're in a car and they don't stop. And in Gotham, she would have done something about a gun being put to the head of a mother and her child. 
the writers aren't pairing up Batman and Batgirl. They're just showing how base and vile the criminals are, that they, the criminals, would do so. Well, I guess Bruce Tim actually paired them up, but let's just try and forget about that. And there's a nauseous emoji and some eyeballs. But also, not to give the villains too much credit, and then maybe a rolling eye, I don't know, but it's unlikely they can tell Batgirl's age with her face completely covered. I don't know what to say. The fact that it is coming from a villain is one thing, but the the writers wrote that. So I guess that would be, why would that even be in their head? I think is my, my question. Why would you even go there? There, there are other things that you could potentially say. Continuing on. I don't think it's homophobic at all to be offended that someone thinks you're something that you're not. Homosexuals would likely not appreciate being paired with someone of the opposite sex either. LOL. Does that make them heterophobic? No, that's just how it works. Obviously this does not apply to bisexuals. Now, if you shiver every time the subject is brought up or you're sickened by witnessing homophobic behavior, that's different. You mean you're sickened by witnessing homosexual behavior. But even then, it's pretty natural for a heterosexual not to be attracted to homosexual behavior. As I would almost debate you on that because we know that there are many heterosexual men that are in fact turned on by two women kissing. But I'll, I'll, I digress. As long as you're not expressing this outwardly and offensively, it's no one's business and I don't see the problem. And you shouldn't take any more offense from someone firmly denying that they're homosexual any more than you would be offended by someone denying feelings for someone. If Bill is shocked and denies feelings for Susie, it should not be seen any different from Bill denying feelings for John. If he's a bit more shocked, it's simply because he's not attracted to men at all. It doesn't have to mean he believes there's something inherently wrong with homosexuals. So I get what you're saying with this example here. I personally think maybe we shouldn't compare queer experience with straight experience. So I don't know that I'll comment too much on it. But I also think that yeah, if Bill, if I said something to Bill, are you Bill, are you dating John? And he says, No, I'm straight. That's one thing. Then, you know, my bad. But then if I say, Bill, are you dating? I was like, oh, my gosh, no, that's so gross. I mean, those are more the reactions that we're counting on. And and we're I think I was talking about in the previous episode. And that's certainly what I've experienced more and what uh, we're talking about. This may have came up maybe with Shana's email. But I frankly have more of the latter and not much of the the former because, yeah, I mean, as you know, or people know, I like to ship my students. So I, I get many of the reactions of like, you gross, I don't like him kind of thing, but <laughs> not in the way of you gross. That's like a, that's deviant behavior. I'm not gay kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, I see what you're saying. But again, I, I just don't think that we can say or compare experiences because they're they're just different. We can't do the, there's no apples and apples here. Uh, and then finally, I'd prefer to keep platonic relationships the way they are. I don't appreciate long-standing characters suddenly changing their orientation and making out with their friends. And he's got some eyes. Not every relationship has to be romantic regardless of their genders. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with you. You know, there was, I had mixed feelings about the Iceman coming out in... Was it all new X-Men? Just because I, it was very new. It was very new. And, you know, you kind of wonder like, oh, is there kind of some previous evidence of, of all of this going on? But then you also think, well, you know, people come out all the time and they 
sometimes it's shocking and sometimes you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. So, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that was one of my, I, I assume you're agreeing with me because I also said that, you know, Cass and Steph are fine as friends. If we really needed to make them romantic, I think you really have to really got to prove it. And to wrap up, thanks for the great podcast. Even if we don't always agree on everything, sweaty emoji, and then keep it up. And then there's a wink. So yeah, thanks for all your comments. I think, sorry, I've, I've just, some of the comments I may not have responded to well, just because I don't know what you're responding to. So I, d- I did the best though, but I appreciate obviously everyone's time when they write something in. I know that that is laborious sometimes. And Adam, you wrote in a lot, so I appreciate that. Okay, well, now we're going to move on to Batman 126. I will say that Babs is in there. She is coordinating and organizing as Batman is fighting this uh, failsafe character and she also contacts leslie Tompkins once batman is injured and she's talking to other members of the bat family a weird looking leslie Tompkins, by the way I, I, apparently they dh'd her even more i remember when they initially dh'd her but now she's really dh'd and the bat girls also appear to help and then we have and she's not in here very much but i i don't know now it's just i think tradition to cover some Nightwing and hopefully Nightwing I don't know when I'll stop if I stop but hopefully it will uh, continue being really good and have some of these people in it so these people that I care for that is I can still no longer read these synopses because even when I grabbed it I noticed that it had nothing to do with what was going on so if I were to quickly give you a synopsis of this if you remember Dick's sister had been found out and then trust up And Nightwing, luckily, has come very quickly to go and help her. And now there's this fight between Blockbuster and Nightwing. Also, this guy that they had in lockup was about to spill the beans for a deal. But, of course, one of the people in the police department is on Blockbuster's payroll and kills him. Maggie Sawyer is not happy about it. And... Batwoman shows up, which immediately I thought, how is this going to go down? And... Well, yeah, how is this going to go down in multiple ways? Number one, do Kate and Maggie even know about each other because, you know, all retcons and all that business? And then number two, if they do know about each other, then how are they going to get along? I, interesting. Sorry, I saw this image and I wondered, the first time I read this, I thought that's not Huntress, is it? And now I guess it is, but I'm confused at her use of a bow staff. Slash the scream of sticks. But anyways, yeah, so there are many different cameos here. Golly, Duke Thomas is even in there. And they all plan to stop some crimes that Blockbuster is in charge of. So everyone, you know, coordinating, of course, is Oracle. And then Blockbuster does a real dirty thing and destroys the Haven and in particular Alfred's statue. And 
now we have an actual battle. Look at that. Looks horrifying right there with Blockbuster's two meaty hands on the children. And then, of course, what's what's Dick going to do? But he kneels before Zod, a.k.a. Blockbuster. And then Blockbuster does that huge ground pound that often Hulk does. And look at this. How was his mask affixed if it just came off with a little with a little punch? And so this is just not a good thing because Dick Grayson has been unmasked. Was that the end of it? Go up one. Oh, yeah. Dick Grayson. Now he's even angrier. So secrets no more. So that's what happens here. The synopsis didn't talk about that at all. I think of, you know, what I have to say. Obviously, it was a really great issue and had fun. I'm wondering if, I mean, I may have missed something, but I do wonder if, number one, this woman's name is Audrey and it's spelled like Audrey Lord. So I don't know if that's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But is Audrey more than a bodyguard? Because we know that Mercy, Mercy Graves, was at times more than a bodyguard to Lex. And Dick's sister seems to care about her and and yeah she wasn't supposed to follow i told her i'd be okay so i don't know it seems like there might be something more but i won't do any any leapings this is interesting about maggie and of course she's facing corruption as all these people do hopefully there's some sort of (laughs) leaders of a corrupted office anonymous that she and Renee Montoya can go hang out in, which I'll get to Renee Montoya soon enough. But at least she has Dan Turpin. And then when Batwoman showed up, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this could get tricky. Now, unfortunately, no icicle bubbles were used. But she says at one point, I get you're here so that I trust what you're saying, Batwoman, but I've made the mistake of trusting you before. And then Dick says, I don't know what this is. And yeah, so it's a bit awkward. And was it here also when they had another conversation? Thank you, Batwoman. We'll take it from here. And then Dick says, what's with you two? I thought you and Sawyer were close. And she said, we were. I was supposed to marry her. And then Dick says, why didn't you? And she says, a mixture of stubbornness, stupidity, and fear. I told myself I was doing it for her, but it's the biggest mistake I've ever made. But if you read that without reading that bottom panel, if you see that bubble, a mixture of stubbornness, stupidity and fear, could it not double for what was going on in the D.C. offices at the time with what Williams and gosh, I can't remember the other person. That creative team basically wanting to marry Maggie and Batwoman and told that they couldn't do it. So that totally doubles. I feel like I'm not giving Tom Taylor too much credit because we know that he has some tongue-in-cheek jokes like the woman in Refrigerator. So if he's saying something, I think he could be saying something right there. So good for you. I don't know. She doesn't. Does she have her own book? I don't know what she's doing. But if she keeps popping up or Maggie keeps popping up. Maybe we'll see a rekindling though. This book is packed enough. I don't know if we can have all that go on as well. So yeah, Blockbuster and Nightwing. I think this is just classic Nightwing and to have them go up against each other and also just showing who Blockbuster is 
using kids as shields or using them as a threat. And of course, Stick is going to lay down his life for them. And now, you know, what is the significance or impact of Dick being unmasked and and what can Blockbuster do with it? And I feel like we've had villains in the past that have this knowledge, but end up not using it publicly because they can do more if it is on the down low. But I don't know if that's necessarily something that he will keep close to his chest or not. So, per usual, a great issue. And I'm interested in what happens. And depending on if Maggie, well, I don't know if Maggie would be in any other book because she's Blue Haven PD. But yeah, if Maggie stays there, I wonder if we'll see Batwoman be another character. But I think the only way you could do that is Edge. How can you? You'd have to push out Babs. But then that. Then you like lose and she's got this book, but then do you want to bring Nightwing in there? It's like very, I'm conflicted about how we can see some of these relationships continue. I guess Tom, Tom Taylor, just make Nightwing a 36 page comic all the time. Wait, I guess it is 32. Just make it a 48 page comic every month. Okay. So now we're on the main event, and I am noticing that I didn't make too many notes. And I think that's more because, I mean, spoiler, I did enjoy this. I thought that it was a pretty fun romp. I do have some concerns, but of course, I will get to that. And then if we just look at this cover, yeah, no Babs in sight. It's very summerific, which is great, Batgirl Summer, but it it is, wait, there's a weird That is supposed to be Steph, right? (laughs) It looks like it's orange hair, red hair, but I'm pretty sure that that's supposed to be Stephanie Brown. Yeah, it's clearly her costume. Okay, but weird coloring on that. But yeah, no Babs in the, with the exception of the weird colored hair. Maybe it's because it might have been if Gorf were here, I'm sure he he would probably agree with me. But the fact that that yellow is really strong in the background, that if you had more yellow of the hair would have blended in. And yeah, you can kind of see it at the edges there, but a bit confusing. Okay, here we go. Backrolls number nine, Backroll Summer. Story, Becky Clunan and Michael W. Conrad, Art Neil Gooch. Colors, Rico Renzi, The Hill, Gotham City. Grace O'Halloran has left her cushy job and now is running a pro backroll nightly news podcast. At least she can drink martinis wherever she wants, right? Or whenever, really. Elsewhere, Mr. Green bags up a bunch of body parts and creeps outside right before a knife is revealed, specifically a spades T-handle push dagger. During the day, I swear, if the FBI is looking at my search history, they'll find some very strange things, I have to tell you. During the day, Babs meets up with a uh, what? Alicia? Oh, at a cafe called Truffles with an angry cat as an emblem. Alicia has set up a bar and cafe. I couldn't tell if it was actually Truffles. Maybe it was. And promises to bring samples by the loft and hang out more with Babs. She doesn't mention her wife, Joe. So I don't know if Joe's been forgotten or not. Or maybe it was just a quick quick sort of conversation so we get don't get to know her but honestly if you're meeting up when you'd be like how's your wife how's joe doing mm. anyways babs talks about her physical therapy and how her day-to-day is 
Meanwhile, an emo-looking Cassandra is at the bookshop again, this time looking at some Poe, and Steph is conducting surveillance on Green's apartment when they both get a call from Oracle telling them to get ready. They have lured KG Beast to the hill in order to get back at him for what he did to Nightwing. Thought we already did that in the pages of Nightwing, but okay. Steph distracts, Oracle hacks, Cass attacks. The Batgirls take him down and bag him up for the cops. Suddenly, something swoops past Steph and causes her to lose her balance from the roof into the dumpster below so shenanigans it happens to be where mr green dumps his trash and steph finds many mannequin body parts in a bag she somewhat wishes they were real but be careful what you wish for as an actual body appears and it is dun 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 mr green himself stabbed to death they update oracle then do some detectiveing grabbing some evidence which is probably messing up the crime scene before the police arrive they also take an eye out because it's a fake and was planted steph keeps her gag reflex in check and pulls out the eye and i don't know why it wasn't Cass who pulled out the eye but the job went to steph commissioner renee montoya when did that happen is my question i must have missed it comes across the crime scene and zeroes in on the Cass and Steph batterings. Back at HQ, she doesn't look too happy, by the way. Back at HQ, Babs checks on Steph, who feels partially responsible for Green's death because she made an assumption based on his demeanor and supported those assumptions with confirmation bias. Babs assures her it wasn't her fault. The girls examine the false eye and discover a seam, and upon rather dangerously opening it without PPE, they discover a note with a cipher. They immediately wonder if the killer has been leaving clues the whole time, but who can say? since the GCPD hasn't released information. The girls suggest Babs hack them, but she's unsure, ethically speaking. Watching them from outside the building is my favorite guy, Killer Moth. Next up, like a moth to a flame. Okay, so first off, I have to say, and I will talk about, the art is actually, it's touch and go for me. It depends on the characters. Like right here, I feel like, yeah, this is great art. I like Alicia here. I think I think Asian character designs are tricky because you have to be respectful, but also make it clear that it's an Asian character. And so I think that Gouge did a, a good job or Gook might be Gouge. I, I should look that up. But then we get to Cass and we make some strange... <laughs> This is a strange design decision, in my opinion. And I like how it says bookworm, but it's just fishnets, short shorts, and flats. I don't know. And Donovan had sent me a still of this when he had a review copy and said that she looked like some character from Invader Zim. And I've never watched that, but it 100% does. But it's just interesting choices here. I mean, maybe they're trying to contrast her style with Steph's. But so overall, like I said, yeah, touch and go, I think, or positives and negatives maybe is the best in regards to the art here. And of course, we're, we're changing from Robbie Rodriguez, so we just have to get used to it. Here's the question. Is alcoholism funny? I mean, obviously the answer is no. And I've, of course, you know, made jokes around Grace. And I always put it in my synopsis if she has a drink because she often is a bit tipsy when she's doing some stuff. And even Cass has been saying that that woman's got some issues and all of that. But we have another thing here. She's got her martini. And it could be like company because I even made that comment to... My chief Tata correspondent herself, Professor Carolyn Coca, that I wondered if Bobby 
in the adaptation we watched, of course, if Bobby was an alcoholic, because every scene, even though the scenes aren't time-wise back to back to back, she was drinking. And I thought, wow, there's just lots of alcohol involved with these, or even drugs involved with these scenes. But every time we see Grace, she has a drink and she does seem like she's tipsy. And I'm wondering how long we're going to go with this. Like, is this just kind of a funny character quirk that, or we're trying to make it funny or are we going to lead to something that this maybe her drinking causes some sort of issue and she's got to get help. I don't know, but at this point we're nine issues in and this is consistent. I have, I would like to know the purpose of it. And maybe some of you out there just feel like this too much. You're, you're giving it too hard of a time, but it's clear that this is a character detail that when you think Grace O'Halloran, you not only think, reporter but you also think that she's probably got a drink a couple drinks in her so I, I guess i have questions as to why and where we're going with it yeah so alicia returns and i do feel like this cat i feel like i've seen a cat similar to this i don't know if is that burger the cat or you know on instagram where there are some cats that look like that they look very grumpy but they're very pleasant because you know reels on instagram basically the cats the cats and the corgi bottoms are are what infiltrate my reels but here we have alicia which i was astounded to see her catching up as if no time had passed why, I wonder. So have we seen Frankie in this run? I don't think so. When was the last time that we did see Frankie? It's been a little while. So we're bringing some people back. Frankie would have been the most recent to come back, but she hasn't. Frankie would also be a good person to bring back in terms of having good and bad days and talking with Babs about that. I guess Babs is managing on her own. But Alicia here is an interesting choice because, yes, I've never forgotten Alicia. The writers have. But I wondered if this was because of the movie. And we know that comics are written in advance. So let's say that what do you think, three months ago this comic was written? That was, of course, well before the news that the Batgirl film was being shelved, might be the best word. So this might have been a, a way to bring this character back, knowing that she was going to be in the film. But I wonder, I you know, I want to give the writers credit. I feel like they've done their research, but I do wonder about her wife because that was, I feel like, a pretty big thing. It was also a slap in the face that, you know, these minor queer characters can get married, but major queer characters cannot. Not saying that the minor queer characters shouldn't, but just saying, like, why can't everybody get married? But, yeah, I'm, I guess I would say, because I normally do that, you know, if I see someone uh, after a long time or even catching up with them, I would ask about their significant other. So the fact that Babs doesn't ask how Joe is is shocking to me and that makes me think that joe's been forgotten but here alicia is so i do like how much Cass is reading and i found it interesting these purple boxes here <laughs> because i wonder if the purple box person whoever writes that did her their research his her there Let's see. The purple boxes say the following. While we were in grade school reading the classics, Cass was being trained how to kill. Not a fun way to grow up. Babs taught her that it's never too late to start, though. One book and Cass was hooked. She's been going through a book a week. Reading is fundamental. And I just I'm not there yet in my reread, but I'm just remembering the struggle 
that Cass had reading, that she really didn't want to do it very often. And then, of course, Barbara just completely blows up at her. So we've not included that purple box person. But, yeah, it makes it also seem just that it wasn't a struggle. Like, it took her one book, and then she's good to go. I I think the purple box person does make it seem easier than it really was. And that could have been an interesting, either the purple box or in the actual page to show because I feel like there's not too much representation of people that have reading disabilities. And that was certainly something that she had a speech disability as well that Cass had. And so mentioning that and not making it sound easy. And we also know that kids in general, young adults have trouble with reading, whether that's attention or just not being interested. So I think there could have been, I, you know, this page is okay, but I just feel like you had an opportunity to talk a bit more deeply about her struggles and then also make it an encouragement for young adults that there are cool things to read and and to not give up on it. If, if you just don't like the required reading in your school. Okay. Yeah. The KG beast. I mean, this whole thing is very interesting. Yeah. So this is art that I don't like. I don't like how, why, why are her eyes so bugged out like that? I don't like how Steph is. I mean, it's funny to see the eyeball through the, the binocular, but actually it's just a ocular because there's only one, but yeah, the bottom there, I'm like, yeah, that's not really that attractive, but it's funny. So they entrap in KG Beast, basically, they trick him to come over to take him down and and get even, even up the score. But I, am I misremembering? So he was taken out by Wally, wasn't he? And then in Nightwing, and Wally basically said this was for Dick. And shouldn't he have been taken away at that point in time? Or did he get away? It's been a little while since I've read that team up issue. But it just seems a bit overkill. And... Also, it's interesting that Dick doesn't have much agency, does he? Because all these people are taking out KG Beast, but Dick, shouldn't he be the one to be like, you did this to me. Now I'm coming after you. Okay. I do like, yes, yes. When Steph said, I am distraction incarnate. And it kind of seems like something that I would probably run into battle saying as well. I also liked when Babs, who is actually Oracle here in coordinating things, hacks into his HUD almost and uh, really is a HUD and how she basically gives, I don't know, a virus or something and implants a worm maybe. And you've got, oh, that kind of seems dangerous. Why did she do that? <gasps> this is a big error. I didn't even notice that before. But Steph and Cass, for the most part, in their digital representations are protected, though I don't know why Steph's mask isn't on. Barbara wouldn't have done that. It wouldn't have been Barbara's face. It would have been the Oracle mask. Uh-oh, that's a big no-no. I Most likely on behalf of the artist. And then it goes to the writer who probably gave that direction. But we can blame we can blame Babs, but that was a bad look right there. And then at the very end, of course, you know, discovering this dead body. And now there are multiple problems with this. I think the fact that Barbara encourages them 
Uh, if you're going to collect evidence, better do it quick to because they are messing up the crime scene. And I think some of the things they could absolutely take and leave other stuff. So just take a piece of something and then leave. But the fact that they take the eyeball, I think, is a big no-no and messing around a bit with the body. I feel like Batman doesn't do this much obstruction as or what is it called? Something a crime scene. I can't remember. Oh man, this was this is a bad episode with me like forgetting names of different things. Anyways, there we go. So messing up the crime scene, we'll just go with that. And then the eyeball is, I think, a, a big no-no. And here's Renee. Someone will have to write in and tell me. I I thought I was going to ask Donovan about this of why Renee is in here, but I did not. I forgot to do that. So Renee, I mean, when did she become commissioner? Basically, I think it's awesome. But I just wondered when that happened. And hopefully KGB actually stays there. I do like this moment between Babs and Steph, just that Steph feels guilty over profiling Green just on his grumpiness and saying that, oh, that must have been, you know, what caused his murder because I was just suspicious of him and wasn't looking elsewhere. And so the real murder got to Mr. Green and it's a learning experience, I think, but Babs isn't hard on her and says, listen, you know, these two things don't have to do with each other and it is not your fault. And so I did like that. And then I will call my girl out as a hypocrite, unfortunately, because Cass is saying, Cass and Steph are saying you should hack the GCPD and Babs is like, well, I could, but I don't know if I should ethically speaking. And I just say, well, that she's a hypocrite because of what she did in the first part of this episode. So she's she's hacked many a thing that she should not have. Obviously, she's taken funds from Blockbuster, and I know he's she's stolen things that he's stolen. But then there's also Hideo Kojima. Thank you, brain. Hideo Kojima is the person who did this horror psychological thriller rock walking simulator demo thing and then he also did metal gear solid so there you go and also she i think um what is it the nsa or like she had gotten some missile codes in the pentagon was something else that she hacked i'm trying to think of all the places that she hacked so i don't know where this ethical quandary is coming from when she has clearly done it other places and then of course my best guy shows up i don't know why he was a uh oh is he is he the murderer that would be weird that seems kind of strange for killer moth to be killing people but you do wonder why he was at that roof when steph gets knocked off yeah right here yeah i guess it is him but why? Why? Unless he did that on purpose in order to find the clues of the mannequin and then the dead body. So maybe Mr. Green was Killer Moth's friend and he's trying to avenge him, but no one would believe him. Maybe this could be a really positive, uplifting tale for Killer Moth. I guess we'll see. But there he is, my guy. You know what? I thought that this, you know, besides some questions that I have and some major errors, i.e. Barbara showing her face on someone's HUD and her ethical speaking and maybe forgetting about Joe, that this was a pretty fun little romp. And... Got to see the girls having some summer fun and everything. And yeah, well, I, I don't think it was too bad. And some, you know, touch and go or plus and minus art. So I would give this a an 8.5 out of 10 cup nudes. 
Okay. So rounding out, I will say that for anime watch list, I am currently watching Dota Dragon's Blood book three. I feel like I've talked about the first two books on this show, but this is book three that just came out, I think last week or something like that. I primarily watch it for Marana. I think she's probably my favorite character, and I would like to see her and Davion get together and be together forever. And best gal pal, Marcy, may she rest in peace. But yes, it is uh, very interesting. I've never played the games, but I I do like the characters. And I think, yeah, the last thing is literature recommendations. Okay, I'm pretty sure I talked about Jane Erotica. I don't recommend it, but if you really want to hear about it, you can go on to Dear Reader Episode 9. And again, I don't recommend it, but there it is. And I also finished Invincible, the series. I read the third compendium, and then I watched the show, and luckily I was prepared for the violence. And it's interesting because I had heard about the ultraviolence, and I was prepared for it in the first episode. Like Even at the very beginning with the two security guards talking, I thought, oh, someone's going to get blown up, and I'll see all those bits. But no, it's it's a pretty like calm episode until the very end, and I thought, oh, I know what's coming. Which they actually gave more agency to the, the Guardians of the Globe because in the comic omni-man basically shreds them and they don't get any hits in on him and so this was a bit different but episode eight was also very rough to watch so just you know prepare yourself if you're going to do it so i also because i've had two weeks off i got the next four books of the Thursday Next series by Jasper Ford, The Well of Lost Plots, Something Rotten, First Among Sequels, and then one of our Thursdays is missing, which is the one that I'm currently reading. And they're just really fun and really smart and almost a book about books and fiction. So I recommend that. I also finished listening to The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley. So another mystery. And I was proud of myself for having called, uh, I was guessing who got killed. and. Who did it, I think, was a bit in question, but I did f- guess who was her stalker of the person, of one of the people in there, and I was right about that. And then I also guessed that two people are having an affair, and I, so I was very proud of myself for all that. And I think I'm also reading or listening to, and I should be finished by the time this airs, Hooked, How Crafting Saved My Life, which is a memoir by Sutton Foster. If you're a fan of Broadway, then you might like that. And yeah, I've, I've been enjoying that. And I, I like to get the audiobooks of memoirs because oftentimes the actual writer reads them. And so that's pretty cool to hear their words with their own voice. So I think that's it. Yeah, I got myself into a bit of a library pickle because I had requested the library to bring into circulation the next two Thrawn books from, I can't remember, Ascension or Ascendancy, because they had the first one. So that was my reason. You have the first one. Can you have the next two? And when I was in Europe, I got an email that one was coming in and my hold I got hold on it and everything so I get it when I come back from Europe and I thought this seems strange I don't think this is the second one it wasn't it was a third so I couldn't do anything about it because I only read the first one and then the second one I guess was also put in circulation but someone else already had it so then I had to put a hold on it meanwhile I get the next four Thursday next books and really two at a time I did two and then 
Tom decided what our October book is going to be, which is going to be a Stephen King novel. So I had to put that on hold. And then all at once, I had two Thursday next books come in, the Stephen King and the second Thrawn. Plus I had the third Thrawn already. And then, you know, finishing up a Thursday next. So it just unfortunately happens. These are like first world library problems, but it just always seems to happen where there's an onslaught of books that I have on hold and it might be a drought up till then, but here we are. So uh, the Thursday next, that's not a problem, but I've got to figure out about the Thrawn and the Stephen King so I can be ready for our recording next month, but I'll figure it out. (sighs) Okay. Well, remember you can send any questions or comments to backworldoracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at backworldoracle. And like the show on YouTube or really just subscribe to it and you can see this uncut version that you're watching right now. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>